It's time for Twit this week in tech. Great panel for you this week. Father Robert Balasser joins us from the Vatican. Wesley Faulkner from Wisconsin. And Carolina Milanese. Lots to talk about, including the mess at Blizzard. Why China is really cracking down on consumer technology. And a great week for tech. We'll take a look at quarterly results from Apple, Google, Amazon, and more. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 834, recorded Sunday, August 1st, 2021. Bimbo Squalo. This Week in Tech is brought to you by CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike harnesses the power of every click, every action, every ally to grow stronger and stop cyber threats before they can stop you. Join the fight and experience the power of Falcon Platform for free today at CrowdStrike.com slash twit. And by WordTune. WordTune is the first AI-powered online writing tool that understands meaning so you can feel confident that what you're writing is as smart as you are every time. Get help writing your emails, reports, presentations, resumes, and blog. Try WordTune today for free at wordtune.com slash twit. And by Podium. Today's customers expect on-demand everything, even from local businesses. Stay ahead of the competition with Podium. They have free plans for growing businesses, plus all the power growing businesses need to scale. Get started free today at podium.com slash twit. And by ExpressVPN. Stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash twit. Get three extra months free with a one-year package. It's time for Twit, the show where we get together and talk about the latest tech news with some fun people. I love it that Twit is always a little bit different, and yet we have our favorites, including Wesley Faulkner. Always great to see him. You have moved. You're in Missouri now? I'm in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yes. Okay, I just gave away the fact that I don't know the flyover states very well. It's, it, they're, about, like, they're practically the same thing. No, they're not. <laughs> I love, actually love Wisconsin. Where in Wisconsin are you? It's in it's Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Oh yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, so pretty pretty far out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Do you have family there? Is that what brought you? Up yes. There? Nice. Yep. We have uh, my in laws are here, and so we moved to be Lovely. closer to them. Great. And the weather's a little a uh, little nicer than uh, Austin. A little cooler, I think. Yeah, uh, just it's raining constantly, and then it's hot, and then it's humid, <laughs> and then it's uh, raining so, again. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. So here, it's 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 going to get cold, and we haven't experienced that yet. That you're so. going to enjoy, and the kids yes. especially. The first snow will be fun. Uh, <laughs> Wesley's head of yeah. community at Single Store, and it's always a pleasure to have you on. Also, a great favorite of ours, all the way from. Rome, where it's the middle of the night, Father Robert Balasser, the digital Jesuit. Hey, DJ. Actually, I did move to Missouri. <laughs> I knew someone did. <laughs> Mike is from Missouri. Uh, no, you're you're in uh, beautiful Rome. You were out here last time we saw you. You go back and forth now, or what's the deal? Uh, every six months. So there's okay. there's a recurring thing that I have to take care of, and it really got messed up by the pandemic. 
I was held off for what 12, 13 months. So I'm back on schedule. About Good. every six months, I'll, I'll head home for a little bit of R and R. Are things locked down again at the Vatican? What's going on in Italy for COVID? Not at all. Uh, in fact, there's a very distressing chart uh, right after Italy won the cup. And all those celebrations took place across the, oh, the nation. The, the rates just went oh, up and dear. up and up, and they just keep going up. So at some point, we're going to be f- slipping back into some lockdown, but it will never be as, as bad as the lockdown we had last year. Ugh. And I do want to uh, welcome, uh, in a way, a new member to the panel, but in a way not. Uh, you've seen her with Jason Snell several times on This Week in Tech, Carolina Milanese. Great to see you, Carolina. Thank you for having me. Uh, analyst and uh, founder of a very interesting uh, new company called The Heart of Tech. What is The Heart of Tech? I, I help tech companies with their CSR strategy. So at a time where anything from sustainability to social responsibility and diversity and inclusion becomes so important, uh, I'm trying to move from just uh, PR to actually making a difference both to the company and the, the society around them and the, the community that they are present in. Your timing could not be better. We need a little, a little more heart in tech. Oh, your way zoomed we in, do. John. It's not that it's not that big. <laughs> zoom <laughs> zoom out. That's a really big it's heart. It's a big heart. Whoa. It's a big heart. <laughs> anyway, welcome Carolina. Really nice. Uh, Thank you. To have you. And I you know, I'm very tempted because you're here to talk about Blizzard and oh my god, there's so much bad news. But let me let's 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 find something. I know, here's one. No, Elon Musk did not demand to be made Apple CEO. Uh, there's a new book out that claims that uh, Elon Musk and uh, Tim Cook were having a conversation talking about uh, Tesla being bought by Apple. This is back in 2016. And during the conversation, according to the book, which is called Power Play, um, Musk said, you know, you can buy Tesla, but I need to be CEO. And according to the book, Tim Cook said F you and hung up on him. <laughs> Both Elon and Tim have said now categorically, we've never talked in our lives. I don't know them. I don't I know who he is. I have great respect for him, said Tim Cook, but I've never met him. I don't know how you get this something this wrong in a in a book. But um well, I mean, it builds on what has been a common trope in the tech world, which is Apple and Tesla are basically the same company. They've got the same kind of vision. They've got the same kind of drive for technology. They've got the same design aesthetic. And so it, it made sense that there would be some sort of massive partnership, if not an outright purchase. So, it, I mean, it's I, credible. I would, yeah, it's credible, but I don't quite believe it. It doesn't sound right. No, when they denied it. You know, and it's written by a very respected uh, Wall Street Journal reporter. Uh, it's The book is getting a lot of great reviews. Um, I guess he just got a bad tip. I don't know. But um, it, 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 was, it was funny that Elon Musk commented on Twitter on it. Um, and it was a back-to-back tweet, one commenting on the book saying that, um, that never happened and the book is boring, but the one before <laughs> saying that saying that Apple is basically taxing the internet with their commission on the App Store. And so I joke and say, shame that you didn't talk to each other because you could have <laughs> explained how to run the App Store better. Yeah. Um, it, it was a very busy Twitter Friday or whatever day oh, it was. Every day is a bit busy <laughs> 
I, you know, it's uh, Twitter is uh, is uh, what can I say? It's amazing. Um, and if you follow this stuff, yeah, you know, I guess Apple and and Tesla seem to have some at least superficial commonalities. And I also think that the, one of the problems is you have one of the most careful CEOs in, ever, who's very successful, operationally brilliant, Tim Cook, versus one of the most yep. <laughs> uh, out of control CEOs ever. Uh, perhaps brilliant uh, in a way that Tim Cook isn't, but uh, they're very different people. And I'm very glad that Tim Cook is not running. I mean, uh, Elon Musk is not running Apple. It would make sense the other way around that yeah. Tim Cook would say is that you're out right. of the company and you can't be a liability yeah. <laughs> uh, if we acquire Tesla. <laughs> well, and in fact, a, you know, Apple seems to have aspirations in the car field. I guess that's why it's credible that they might have been looking at Tesla because Apple doesn't want to manufacture cars. They're going to need a partner to make them. But they are more and more beefing up their car division. Um, what's the latest one, Carolina? They, uh, they've they uh, brought in... Um, uh, Lynch, Kevin Lynch, who was the guy really who propelled the Apple Watch to such success. That's right. He's now been moved, yeah. according to stories, I don't think Apple's announced this, but according to rumors, he has been moved over to the car division. Yeah, which is fascinating because I'm sure most people would not connect a, you know, a watch with a car as far as, um, you know, what you're bringing to the table. But if you're thinking about... Uh, autonomous the autonomous part and and then the the sensor part there are a lot of synergies when you're thinking about products like that but i i agree with your comment about how the two companies are run and i you know how if you're looking at apple generally over the years um they're not just cautious with the rollout of certain technology. But if you're looking at privacy and data and how they use that, um, seems quite different from the approach that uh, uh, Tesla under Elon Musk has had over the years. Um, you know, the, the latest results on, for instance, on uh, autonomous driving and how, if you're thinking about autopilot, how they're talking about, and especially Elon Musk talks about it versus the reality of it, which is assisting driving is not autopilot. Um, so it's quite, quite interesting, definitely different approach to technology and how they interact with our customers too. I also think it's the case that Apple isn't necessarily saying, oh, you would be, you're good with the watch, so you'd be good with cars, but more, you've been a very, good executive leading the watch team and we need that kind of leadership they've got the brains they've got john giandrea who came over uh, yep. from google who's a brilliant ai guy uh they've got it's rumored hundreds if not thousands of people working on this project titan so the fact that they moved somebody who really was massively successful in health and watch uh over to the car thing, I think is more a sign that, okay, we need now real management because this is going to be productized in the next couple of years in the same way the watch. And Leo, you, you touched on this and this is, this is Cook's strength. This is where he came up in Apple. He is a logistical yeah. genius. Yeah. He knows how to move around the parts. He knows how to make the contracts into the future before anyone knows what they're going to make so that they can guarantee dominance once they do enter a market. That's, that's what he's doing. All the people who are being promoted under Cook are Cook-esque in that he gives them a project and he says, what do you need? What personnel do I need to give you? And what kind of contracts do you need to set up over the next 10 years? Yeah, it's a reflection on the tech industry is, is uh, you know, a mixture of some very brilliant technical people. But then you also need management and 
marketers and other people who are not necessarily as technical. Um, and I think that's probably where Lynch uh, fits in. He came from Adobe, I feel like. I think I remember. His background's coming. And there are parallels as well in the ecosystem that you need to build, right? From from watch where you're working with insurances and health um, and and hospitals and researchers when it comes to heart and, and things like that. And on the on the car side where similarly you have to work with government, you have to work with insurance. There's so much of that. Uh, ecosystem at play and not everybody, you know, somebody might be a great engineer and a great product person, but doesn't necessarily understand how to work with others to bring the ecosystem with you with that product. Yeah. The irony is, of course, Lynch was uh, very much involved in a very strong advocate of Adobe Flash when he was at Adobe, something (laughs) Apple hated. Uh, But it just shows you the redemption is possible. He was at General Magic. He was at Dream. He did Dreamweaver at Macromedia. I um, mean, he, he certainly is a, uh, a very accomplished guy. He's a Mac guy going way, way back. He was a, currently, I don't know if you've been a Mac person forever, but he was, I remember Mac 3D, which was a very early Mac drawing application. He actually uh, helped start that. So he's been a Mac I was guy. actually a convert. So no, oh, I okay. came to the Mac after the iPhone. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you don't even qualify. We can. We'll have to wait ten more years before you can call yourself a Mac user. For you, all of those have all those have in common is that you have to deal with a lot of vendors, and you'll have a a lot of people from different sides who have different uh, objectives that they have to meet. Uh, And so, being able to work with other people's deadlines and other people's constraints, and then integrating them together is a skill that I think is very unique, but also transferable from each one of those different roles. I would guess that's exactly what Cook is looking at, and that's exactly why. If Lynch went, by the way, I should say I don't think Apple has confirmed this. This was a rumor, but uh, yeah, if if that actually did happen, Um, let's see. Boy, there's so many little tidbits to talk about. There's no big uh overarching story this week well maybe there is which is the tech industry has done very very well (laughs) thank you very much another massive quarter for apple for microsoft for intel for amd uh amazon all the tech companies had uh, their quarterly results this week and all of them uh through the roof right apple Broke as they always do, uh, sales records. Uh, this time, though, in Mac and iPad, uh, eighty-one billion dollars. Here are here's our friend uh, Jason Snell's famous color charts. This is actually, believe it or not, encouraging. The revenue by category is only forty-nine percent iPhone. That's mm-hmm. actually <laughs> much better than That's it incredible. used to be. That's, That's incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, and part of that is that big purple slice here, twenty-one percent in revenue from services. Uh, but, of course, both Mac and iPad have grown, and wearables now 11%. That's grown a lot, too. That's the watch, of course. Uh, that could be a resource constraints is why the iPhone is smaller, actually. Yeah. In fact, Cook uh, alluded to that, said the chip shortage is a problem even for our Macs. He said not with the uh, big processors, the uh, those we make ourselves through TSMC, and I think Apple has booked up all of TSMC's production for the next 20 years. But the little, he calls them legacy chips that every computer, every phone has to have that are manufactured by smaller companies. Those are all in very short supply. Uh, although I think the chip shortage, what have you heard uh, lately, Wesley? Is the chip shortage starting to ease up a little bit? 
it's all over the place. It's inconsistent, um, both on the demand side and the delivery side, like logistically getting into the right place and ramping up the right productions. Uh, it, and it doesn't seem like we're going to get anywhere close to predictable into the middle of next year. Yeah. Um, you can so get GPUs it's, it's now. People are telling me you can get an NVIDIA GPU. Maybe that's maybe that's more because Bitcoin mining is moving uh, into a different <laughs> yeah. sphere. Or I don't well, know. they they've resourced their, they locked their drivers so that you can't right. do mining on those. Right. So that's that's freed up supply a little bit. Yeah. Um, anything to take away from the Carolina? Uh, you're in Silicon Valley. Anything to take away from the great success of these companies? Well, everybody kind of suffered from the same issue, which the quarter was great, but the outlook is not as strong. And right. so you've seen from a financial perspective, stock was impacted negatively because yeah, of Yeah, every stock went down. Yeah. They made record um, amounts, but the stocks went down. That's right, because you never are um, kind of, you know, pat on the back because of what you just did. Everybody's looking at what you're about to do. And and I think it's the uncertainty. You know, we were talking before we, we started the program about the Delta variant and, and how things are developing. And there's just a lot of uncertainty, not just from a supply chain's perspective, from, from a component point of view, but really about demand and what consumers will do. How much are we going to start going out and returning to normal life and therefore, you know, defocusing from online, either for shopping for Amazon or entertainment and so forth. And it's just hard to tell right now. I also feel that everybody in tech is more um, influenced by international markets now that maybe they were uh, years in the past. And so that uncertainty becomes even bigger because we are not in the same place. You know, if you're comparing, we were just talking about Italy uh, and, and Europe, the, the UK as a opened up, but the cases are rising very quickly. Um, the Delta here, uh, the Delta variant here is also impacting hospitalization and, and cases. So hard to tell. Yeah. Well, this, you know, I don't necessarily think the stock market has some magical insight into what's going on. They seem very no. skittish. Uh, stocks plummet and then they go back up and now they've kind of stabilized and blah, blah, blah. It's, uh, that's no bellwether for anything we care about. Um, you know, Leo, the, the takeaway that I like from this story is the fact that that graph, it shows that Tim Cook did what he was supposed to do. He did accomplish what they brought him in as CEO to diversify do. when he diversify. When he came in, the iPhone was 90 percent of the profit yeah. of Apple. Yeah, the revenue was still split up, but it was 90% of the profit. Even this on this one, the iPhone is now about 50% of their profit. So not only are they earning more, but they're earning more from different sources. Um, I mean, that's the kind of news that sets up a Apple as not the one-trick pony that people thought it was going to be six, seven years ago. Yeah. And, and, and really, the services was the thing that uh, they've been putting so much effort yeah. into over the last couple of years. Services being things like iCloud, but maybe more importantly, Apple TV Plus, Apple Music. And, of course, the big driver in services is the App Store. And Apple's yes. going to face some headwinds. If I were an investor, I'm not, but if I were an investor, I would be worried a little bit about what uh, the FTC, what Europe, uh, what Congress is going to do about the App Store, uh, as you pointed out um, Carolina, Elon Musk said Epic's, the, Epic's on the right side of this battle in the Epic versus Apple battle over the App Store. Um, I, I, I have to think. And actually, that's the second big story of the week, which was even though the FTC and Congress uh, and the, uh, uh, the EU 
have been very looking very kind of stink eye at big tech. Turns out that all the anti big tech regulation that's happening is happening now in China. <laughs> it's a lot easier if you don't have Congress, you don't have courts. You just you just go, hey, let's let's cha- let's mix things up here. Uh, this week, uh, China. Um, did quite a quite a few things. They have been slowly clamping down. It started last year with uh, Jack Ma and Alibaba. Um, Jack Ma's aunt uh, financial was about to go public. China stopped that. Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, the Amazon of China, disappeared for a few months. Uh, he was the richest uh, man in China, the richest uh, billion billionaire in China, uh, except for maybe somebody working for the government. I don't know what that. <laughs> we don't know those numbers, but. Um, he got he got shut down. Now Didi, their Uber of China, is being uh, cracked down on. Uh, the latest one, I don't. I, this is an interesting one. A Chinese a Supreme Court has said face recognition technology. <laughs> this is something that we here in the United States were really kind of grappling with, and that China, I think, famously has really jumped on the face recognition bandwagon. Whether it's to find you know find Uyghurs in uh, Xinjiang or if it's to to punish jaywalkers in uh, Shenzhen by putting their face up on a billboard, uh, the, but apparently uh, the Chinese Supreme Court said the public is increasingly worried about the abuse of facial recognition technology. The calls for strengthening protection of facial information are increasing, and they even. Uh, slapped down a case uh, where the uh, Hangzhou Zoo wanted to use face recognition for people who bought annual passes. A, uh, a law professor in uh, Hangzhou sued and won. Um, now, I imagine they're not cutting back in any way in the governmental use of uh, no, China's kind of like Big Brother, yeah. not just in the 1984 sense saying, like, we're going to spy on our citizens, but in the Big Brother saying, oh, you don't get to be beat up my sibling only i get to beat up my sibling. Yeah. <laughs> i'm the big brother here here's a picture from the washington post of a chinese uh, Be- beijing subway station with how many cameras do you see <laughs> one <Wow>. two three <laughs> four five six seven i count eight but i'm probably missing a few holy cow i mean yeah uh, I remember China was fine with all the innovation. China loved the fact that you've got companies that are bringing in a lot of money. Uh, you've got uh, tra- companies that are employing so many people and, and really pushing advancements in technology. And it's sort of a national pride type thing. But what triggered it was when you had some tech executives who were pushing back on regulation. Now, we get that all the time in, in the United States. We've got Elon Musk every other week saying, oh, these silly regulators, if it wasn't for them, we'd be on the moon and on Mars by now. You cannot do that in China. Right. Insulting the regulations of a government in China is the same thing as insulting the government. You can't do that. Right. And they will put you back in, in their place, in your place, which is you are at the behest of the state. You are allowed to exist by the state. You are never bigger than the state. Uh, there, I have two different takes, and I'm curious what you all think of these, about why this is happening now in China. This is Jessica Lesson writing in the information Yesterday, I love her headline. What the heck is going on in China? Uh, she has uh, she has a theory uh, that uh, well, she says I've been wondering for a while. Finally, got an answer during one of our morning editor huddles this week. Shai Oster, who's a longtime Hong Kong bureau chief, 
said to really understand what's going on, you have to look ahead to the end of next year. That's when Xi Jinping, who is the current uh, president uh, for life of China, will be going in front of the National Congress to extend his term as president for another five years, which would make it the longest since Chairman Mao. Uh, she says, or uh, her or Hong Kong bureau chief says, ahead of that, regulators and bureaucrats are trying to dust up their credentials and curry his favor. I don't know if I agree with that. Let's compare that to another take. This is from uh, a guy named Noah Smith, whose blog is great. It's called No Opinion. Why <laughs> China is smashing its tech industry. And he says something I think is kind of provocative. He said they're not smashing all of their tech industry. Huawei is doing great. China is investing massive amounts into their chip uh, manufacture infrastructure. He says what China is really cracking down on is rent-seeking consumer tech companies. He said companies like Alibaba, Tencent, Didi are not really adding value to the Chinese economy. They're capitalizing on the Chinese economy, much like our own Facebook or Amazon uh, are, are doing. And he's, he says, and I think it's an interesting take, I don't know uh, how informed it is, but he says this is actually the Chinese government's refocusing its investment towards hard tech instead of consumer tech. That's kind of your beat, uh, Caroline. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I really uh, agree with that. And I would take it a step for, further saying that not only, it, you know, if you're looking at Didi and Alibaba don't uh, help the, the, the economy, especially internationally, but they also um, are uh, empowering, if you like, consumers to form views that might not align with the government. Well, that's another big side of it. Yeah, it's a place where you can uh, put pictures of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that, you know, if you're thinking about internationally, you're, they're going to have way more power by controlling supply chain of chipset, uh, by controlling and winning AI. Um, and, and think about the ramification of, you know, we were just talking about face recognition, about ethics in AI. And what power you can or cannot have uh, if you establish what the benchmark for ethics in AI can be. So I, I do think that kind of doubling down on what are the essential components of the future of tech, so cloud, AI, and semiconductor, is absolutely a smart move from the, from the Chinese government. Yeah, by the way, Noah, Noah Smith is an economist, a professor of a PhD in economy. So he maybe does have some standing uh, to talk about this. He, it's a, I think I really like this take, but I'm, I'm, Ill in, I'm ill-informed. But from a, a kind of a, a bystander uh, point of view, it makes a lot of sense. He says, um, in America, technology was initially uh, f funded and uh, went forward because of defense. After World War II, we invested heavily in DARPA, the National Science Foundation. Uh, he says many of America's most successful private sector tech industries are in some way a spinoff of these defense-related efforts. But after the Cold War, our priorities shifted from survival to enjoyment. And so leisure and consumption companies like Amazon, Facebook became the center of what Americans thought as tech thought of as tech but china never really shifted out of that survival mode so he said china's young people may be increasingly ready to cash out and have some fun but the leadership is just not there yet and this is part of their 
uh, soft power initiative, their Belt and Road Initiative, to build China as an economic powerhouse, that that's the future of China globally. That makes a lot of sense uh, to me, yeah. actually. It's well, also I mean, you can see that in, in looking at the companies. Go, go ahead, Wesley have, first, no. and then uh, Father oh, Robert. Sorry. sorry. No, it's uh, late. Okay. I was going to say that um, the, the other side of the coin is not just uh, China is having less control over these companies, and so they're less valuable uh, because they're serving the citizens. But more on the other side is that as they these internet quote unquote internet companies branch off and expand to other countries, that those countries are having more of an influence on the shaping of those yes. uh, companies themselves. I think, oh, worry about data privacy. You must house your data here and you must uh, like conform to these different laws and standards that are just pulling them away from their China center and their base over to more of a, a global type of atmosphere, which is you know generally more Western in terms of thought for that type of uh, approach to technology. And so like what happened to Jack Ma is like he's starting to have these more worldly thoughts and views that may not uh, help the Chinese government, but also might seem like it's going counter and saying that they represent the country. And as these companies are being shaped by the global influence, they're not representing China at all. And so that is also like a um, they're being sullied and um, kind of like has a stain on them. So when you see when you heard about like um, the Trump administration going after TikTok, um, the Chinese government wasn't really all up in arms about it. But when you hear about Huawei, that was a bigger um, deal because of it was something that was uniquely uh, Chinese and uh, their influence uh, uh, around the world was more of a dependent on our hardware, our networking equipment. And uh, it allows other countries to be dependent on China as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. In fact, uh, I think a lot of these companies are cracking down on like Didi uh, uh, and Tencent are have many investors outside of China, SoftBank and others. And so Apple is an investor in yeah, Didi, actually. Yeah. So it's yeah. a lot easier to clamp down on these companies. And maybe you don't really want these companies to exert Western influence over China. So you want to kind of truncate their, their capabilities. Very interesting. Anyway, that I think to me, the big stories of the week were how well America tech sector is doing, how difficult it has been for the government. This has been the big sector, big story of the last two years, how difficult it has been for the government in the United States to regulate them, how easy it is for a Chinese uh, um, uh, totalitarian society to regulate it, and why I think all of that's very interesting, and that is our story of the week. We're going to take a break, though. We have lots more uh, to talk about. It's great to have you on, Carolina Milanese. Uh, so nice to have you from the heart of tech. Um, first time with me, and I'm thrilled we can we can have you. I detect a little Italian accent. Are you Italian? I am Italian. From Milan? And then I lived in the UK, ah. close by. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> nice to have you. Also from Italy, although he's not Italian, Father Robert Palliser. He's actually <laughs> in Italy right now. There's a very cosmopolitan group here we got. Nice to have you, Father Robert, and of course, Wesley Faulkner, who is so cosmopolitan, was in Austin, and now is in Wisconsin. It's amazing. He's even in a town with a French name, so there you go. Uh, it's great. <laughs> great, great to have all three of you. More news to come, but first a word from our sponsor. In fact, I want to welcome a brand new sponsor to the show. Uh, I've been actually very excited about them because I'm a big fan of their uh, work, and I know they're fans of ours. CrowdStrike. And I know also there couldn't be a better time 
to know about CrowdStrike because ransomware is is holding our businesses hostage. It's getting worse by the minute. And if you're in business and you're worried and you feel like it's only a matter of time before they come for you, you the one decision you do not want to have to make, and I don't want to have to make, nobody has a business wants to make, is do I pay the millions of dollars in ransomware to get my stuff back or do I just give up and lose all my data? If that's not, but that is not, it's not such a binary choice. There is a third option to defeat your adversaries before the fight even starts. In fact, if you ask me, this is the only tenable option. We don't want to pay ransomware. We don't want to lose our data. You need CrowdStrike. With CrowdStrike, you're not alone in the battle against ransomware. A secure future demands a shared defense. That's why CrowdStrike's Falcon platform uses, I think, a very interesting, innovative technology, their threat graph. This, this allows advanced AI to analyze behavior all over your network, on devices, on servers, even cloud workloads, to find the threats and stop them. Their security platform delivers the industry's most powerful set of tools to fight today's most sophisticated cyber attacks, all delivered via the cloud through a lightweight, intelligent agent. According to Forrester, Falcon Complete delivers 403% return on investment, 403% ROI, and of course, 100% confidence. CrowdStrike harnesses the power of every click, every action, everything that's happening on your network, every ally on your network, every adversary on your network to grow stronger and stop cyber threats before they can stop you. Falcon Complete stops breaches Every hour of every day through expert management, threat hunting, monitoring, and remediation. You know security is a matter of layers, and it does it all, backed by CrowdStrike's Breach Prevention Warranty. Oh, I like the sound of that. Breach Prevention Warranty. They don't just say it. They guarantee it for Falcon Complete managed customers who receive a warranty covering up to $1 million in the event of a breach. Nice. Terms and conditions apply. But you're not going to have a breach because you've got CrowdStrike. Gartner Magic Quadrant named CrowdStrike, a leader for endpoint protection in 2021. Join the fight. Experience the power of Falcon Platform for free today at CrowdStrike.com slash twit. That's CrowdStrike.com slash twit. CrowdStrike because what we've built together is worth defending together. And they're here to help. Uh, you gotta, you got to visit the website. you got to learn more. CrowdStrike dot com slash twit thank you crowdstrike for your support of the show of this week in tech all right now we're going to have the fun stuff that was all the heavy duty stuff now we can just run through some well maybe this is not so fun <laughs> actually come to think of it what the hell is going on at blizzard holy cow uh, what hi. a mess so, Father Robert, uh, you're a gamer. I'm a gamer. I understand that there's a certain bro culture, I guess, that's sprung up in gaming. You don't have to look any farther than Gamergate to know how toxic it can become. I would hope that big companies like Blizzard and would be uh, aware of this and do something about this. It appears that they really aren't, and they are in such deep doo-doo this week uh employees walking out uh they now say uh we Kotick, their uh, ceo apologizes for their tone deaf response 
promises action. This, of course, in the in 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 the light of a lawsuit against them and a walkout for equality among employees. Um, I don't know if I'm going to take very seriously what he uh, promises. Uh, they. <laughs> World of Warcraft is going to remove inappropriate references in uh, Inside WoW. Oh, my gosh. But this was the story that, to me, showed that they have a kind of a systemic problem. Uh, yeah. It, it wasn't just that bad things happened. It wasn't just the yeah. fact that there's a culture in gaming that is misogynistic and it's just not very inclusive. It was the fact that they doubled down on it. So when they were confronted by their employees, they 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 went on the offensive and they said, essentially said, look, you're blowing this out of proportion. And they made a not so subtle threat that if you protest, you could say goodbye to advancement. You're not going to be moving forward or and above in this company. Oh. That's that's not how you keep your your talent base. They I mean, need, just ask Google some, what that does. They need an HR <laughs> department that actually works. They need some 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 counsel. This was the thing, the Kotaku story that really blew the lid off it for me. Inside Blizzard developers' infamous Bill Cosby suite. So uh, this goes back to BlizzCon 2013. So many nasty things. There's so many nasty. By the way, it's Cosby things. and not Crosby. Yes. There's a switch over in the middle of the article. Isn't that the funniest thing? Well, it's yeah. because in the um, in the pl- in the uh, lawsuit, it said the Bill Crosby suite throughout. Uh, obviously, that was a mistake of the lawyers. It was the Cosby suite. We know that because there's a big picture of Bill Cosby. <laughs> there you go, and. Uh, also, in that picture, the former developer, Alex uh, Afrasiabi, who was, I think, the the poster boy for how this bad behavior. There's also in this Kotaku article a, uh, a chat thread that I don't, I don't even want to read with uh, uh, Afrasiabi and some others. Just appalling. Apparently, uh, Alex... Uh, has to do with pudding pops, I think. Pudding, yeah. yeah. Jello pudding pops. It has to do with asking every woman he meets to marry him. And I put that in air quotes. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, that was 2013, but it just, it didn't stop. In fact, Blizzard initially said, oh yeah, we called it the Cosby suite because uh, the the carpet at the hotel room looked like a Cosby sweater. But then mm-hmm. when Blizzard moved, uh, they moved the Cosby suite conference room and it had... It did. There, it had no ugly wallpaper, no ugly carpet, and they still called it the Cosby Suite. Um, I don't. It's just I can't even go on with this. It's appalling. Um, well, how does this happen? I mean, Caroline, you consult companies on this. How does this happen yeah. that a company gets so far down this rabbit hole that they don't even know how bad it? You know, they don't understand how bad it is. There's so many things that play here. You know, when I first read the story, I went through all the details that were shared and it was disgusting and shocking. And then I I saw the answer and that actually got me angry and more disgusted because how you respond to a lawsuit is not dismissing what, you know, few tens of employees have been saying over a period of time. And if you look at the response from the CEO, is, you know, this is the when somebody apologizes about how you feel. It's the same response, right? It's not 
we've done something wrong. We are sorry that you feel that way, that we're sorry that, you know, uh. you're, you're, you've been uncomfortable. Well, no, you should be sorry for what you've done and clearly, you know, tell me what you're going to do differently. And the, the how you get here, I, I think, is the culture. And the fact that if you're looking at, um, you know, men in tech uh, and the bro culture is being glorified and for so long that that's where you don't create check imbalances, right? Is because you can't do anything wrong. It's, it's just, oh, that's, you know, boys will be boys. Uh, and I won't mention, you know, what things, what was it? Was it the locker room talk yeah. uh, for, yeah. for a president? Yeah. You know, the, that is what happens. That is the culture that some company create where Boys will be boys. And at the same time, if you're, um, you know, somebody that is important to the company, you get away with stuff. Um, and, you know, Faber talked about Google and that's, you know, Andy Rubin and what happened there. Yes. Um, you know, is And he got, what, critical, $92 million to yeah. quit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard and things are changing, but not everywhere. And I think, you know, I wrote about esports years ago, like three, four years ago, uh, about how how much misogyny and racism there is in, in esports uh, and, uh, and gaming across the board. And, and I'm curious, I've been toying with the idea of writing about this. I'm curious about how, you know, the democratization of gaming, if you like, with things like Xbox Pass and, and, uh, and PCs becoming now such a, an important part of gaming for so many different people will drive a better culture because the audience is going to be different and better uh, and more diverse. And so if you want to be successful, you're going to have to cater for that. Um, and I think that's the other component is that for years you're, you're talking to people that believe in bro culture that that actually high five um you know uh, some of this behavior um you you've not had to face the reality of this is appalling i i wonder if some of this is because people uh at the top thought oh this is what we have to do to get a good developer team together for this game this game is is a billion dollar game we want it to continue to succeed. We're going to have to put up with this kind of behavior because that's what's going to take. I think there might be some of that. There might be some feeling that, yeah, these guys, look, programmers aren't notorious for their manners or their um, you know, ability to be in public. Maybe they thought this is just the price we pay. We just put them, we isolate them. Let them go. I mean, there are a lot of women who play World of Warcraft. Felicia Day is famous for her guild. Um, it, it it seems like they, they must think this is necessary, I guess is what I'm I saying. I got a lot of opinions I bet you do, Wesley. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, first, Carolina, what she was talking about, um, uh, I, I, I agree with her in terms of like the people in power stay in power because that's what they perpetuate. Right. But uh, just counter to what you're saying, I have to say, where you're saying they need an HR department that works. And it sounds like their HR department works and it works very well. And that is to protect the company, to protect, and not to protect, protect the people. Yeah. Um, so that is why the California um, uh, body had to come down on them so hard is because they were not regulating themselves because that's what 
they didn't really care to. Yeah. And so I don't think that, that they felt as if they didn't know this was happening. I bet they knew and they encouraged it. And like she well, was saying about the I don't apology. Know if they it, like, but that's what I'm wondering if the, there was this notion that, oh, you just have to put up with that because that's if we're going to have the best developers, that's what it's going to be like. Well, that shows like that sounds like a, a piece of empathy of them concern, which I don't think that they had. It feels no. like this is the company that <laughs> they didn't. Even, yeah, it wasn't even like, oh, we should do something about it, but we can't. It, no, it was. We don't need to do anything about this. We, yeah, we don't. <laughs> and and, uh, and how do we keep from that, getting discovered? How do we keep from getting sued? Not. Yes. let's fix it. Yeah. And so HR it's has the, been the getting them the out of this. Right. Yeah. That's HR's uh, real Amazon's job, by getting, the way, is to keep you from yeah. getting sued. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so they've been getting out, away with this for years, and so why not keep going if they are able to ride that lightning this whole entire time and have fun doing it? They don't care about other people, and and the, and diversity in the user base does help. But um, someone once said to me, like, um, plantations were very diverse, but it's <laughs> like you got it, it's it's the people who who had the power that gets to choose like how oh things get run oh my god you're right yeah a lot of diversity in the plantation uh so wow yeah um so, <laughs> you, but you I work think with, whenever go ahead caroline i was going to say one other thing that is different is what we've seen as far as uh, the power that now employees have to go out and talk and be open and you know to all the downsides of social media there is a one plus uh, as far as having a, a platform to go out and, and share your story and, and coming together. You know, think about back years ago, this wasn't possible. You know, this is behaviors like this have been going on, not just in the tech industry, but, oh, everywhere. you know, legal politics. Watch Mad um, Men and, and you'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you wouldn't know about it. Right. Because to the point that Wesley was making about HR, looking after the company, you know, settlements are made, things are done. Uh, life is made miserable and nobody knows about it. Now that's no longer the yeah. case. I uh, and I also think that some of this is is if you have a, a few bad actors where it's tolerated and almost they're encouraging you. A lot of men are in the middle who will will just go along with it, even though it might be against their better instincts. But it's just the way it is, so they're going to go along with it. So a lot of this has to do with getting rid of the bad actors and setting a corporate culture where it's not okay. Because the ma vast majority of men, I don't think men are inherently bad. I think the vast majority of men will behave if the culture encourages it and discourages bad behavior. Is that... Does that seem? Uh, I'm trying to defend men. Maybe I shouldn't. Well, you don't. You don't <laughs> necessarily have to defend them because defense? they're. <laughs> you have to remember that some of these people, it's just a job. They really don't care about the corporate culture. They're not hanging yeah. out with these people. They're not trying to invest their lives in this. This is something they do so that they can get paid, so they can live the life the way that they want. And so for them. You know, this is not something that they want to invest their personal lives. It's it's a strictly a professional issue, but there are some other issues that uh, that come to play here. There's the 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 fallacy of the ten x worker. As you said, there are for certain people that you have to protect, no matter how bad their behavior might be, because they're so good. because they're 
brilliant because yeah. they're the ones who push through a project. However, we've come to, to see that sometimes a 10x worker is really just a person who's really good at pushing down everybody else. Yeah. And that's why they seem 10x. Yeah. There's also the fallacy of the sunk cost that you've gone so far with a certain style of leadership and a certain style of project management that you can't change it. Otherwise, you lose all your investment in that style. So you, you've got this very strange confluence of things like the 10x worker and the sunk cost and the people who really don't care about corporate culture, and you get blizzard. Uh, you, you get this nightmare of you've got legacy misogyny that they think is not a cultural issue. It's a PR problem. It's so ugly. Wesley, is it, do, you, do you defend programmers? <laughs> you work with a lot of them. You work with developers. Oh. They're not bad people. I mean, they're people. They're so people. you get all kinds, yeah. right? Yeah. But I, but, I, uh, but I think the notion that oh, you you're going to have to put up with some of this to get the best people is is mistaken. I think that that you can you set the culture. Look, nobody's saying men can't be attracted to women. Nobody's saying you can't in your mind think these horrific thoughts. But you need to create a culture in the workplace where it just doesn't get expressed that you treat people with respect and you and you push down your animal instincts. There's there's a book that I read um, that uh, kind of talks through this evolution of a company, but it's from a leadership perspective. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Oh, good. It's a really great book. I would mm -hmm. read it if you haven't already. But there's a lot of like, this is how we operate. So we're going to keep going without reevaluating how you got there and what you need to do to get to the next level. And um, one part of that is that when it talks about a vacuum of power or power, power uh, or leadership, if you don't expressly say what you're for and what you're against and what you should do mm -hmm. and what you should not do in the, in the space of that, in that vacuum of power, people take that power. Yes. Uh, they'll step into that role. And sometimes those people shouldn't. Uh, and there is, when there's a lack of leadership that is, I would, I would say leaning towards the positive, um, then there is going to be someone who's going to abuse it for their own means or use it to gain more power to get progression. And if that is rewarded, the company is what they reward. And if someone says, hey, you stepped up, doesn't matter if they crushed some skulls along the way. If they stepped up, that's leadership. You get a promotion, you get a bonus. And that's how these companies become this way is because there is just, a, frankly, a vacuum of power for uh, that's built based on like a noble good of how the company should be operated. So uh, this, I saw mythic quest. Is that what it's like? <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> is that how it is working in a game company? Cause if it is, <laughs> uh, but, but I also think that we are at a time where, you know, to the point that Wesley is making about leadership, that there are a lot of leaders in tech who are just not equipped to deal with what new leadership require, yeah. which is empathy, which is, you know, really getting out of your comfort zone to understand somebody else that has a different background to yeah. yours. Yeah. Um, you know, that is just what uh, we haven't found a better way to, to talk about soft skill. I hate the term. But not a lot of people in tech have very good soft skill. You know, EQs are way lower than IQs in tech, um, you know, especially in leadership. And, and it's, I don't think it's just a 
you know, you defending men because it's not just the men problem. You know, we've seen leaders, female leaders, women leaders that have uh, uh, been bullying their, their employees and, and created a, an environment that is just not a healthy environment. I think that's... Can I play it, devil's advocate? Yes. Okay, so I don't believe this. I, I'm, I'm with the panel. No, you're a priest. We so understand, far. but go ahead. Okay. Take the side of the devil. Go ahead. It, if if I am an investor, if I am an executive who is invested in Blizzard, I listen to this and I'll say, look, at the end of the day, I need someone who can publish. I need someone who can code. I need someone who can push out the product on the specified date. I don't care about everything else. And if you can't work at my company because you don't like the culture, go someplace else. I'm sure that's what There's exactly what happened. I will, I will guarantee you that's what happened. Uh, I think it's getting harder though, for investors to just walk away from these problems because it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you from you know either a settlement perspective or a PR perspective, yeah. um, and and people don't forget. And especially when you're catering to markets where uh, you know Gen Zers and and or, you know young millennials are are part a big part of your base. Um, you're going to be to just to be very careful because you know this generation is different from my generation where um, you know we stuck with it and even if we didn't think it was the right thing to do um, talking about different things in, in e-commerce and so forth but um, you know the, these people will walk away I have a, a 13 year old who is a gamer uh, they also are non-binary and uh, mixed race and so uh, you know there are certain games and certain content that they would walk away and environments that are becoming um, you know, given that gaming is not just game, it's game and Twitch and, you know, what, the time you spend online with people in community that you build um, that are very toxic. Yeah, look at Basecamp. And I, I, they, I believe that. They rolled out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Basecamp. No, I cut off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go, Father, please go. I, I could go, Father, go. I, go, Father, go. I, I just want to say that. I believe that, and I believe that matters, and I believe that culture is something that's good, not just for a company, not just for the bottom line, but for society as a general. But the one statement that I, I would have difficulty with is that we remember, that we have long memories. We tend not to. No. I mean, maybe for that's a quarter true. or two, but unless we can really show them just that- Just look no, at Facebook results, this, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. so I mean, yes, we, we can protest for a quarter, maybe two quarters, maybe even hold a grudge for a year. But if I'm an investor, I think, look, I'll write it out for 12 months and then we'll be back up to record profitability. I don't care. Amazon is still one of the biggest employers in the country, right? I mean, even though yeah. it's a maybe <laughs> sounds like a pretty awful job. Uh, I... <sighs> This, in a way, is the larger question in general about capitalism. Uh, and it's not just about uh, misogyny or misbehavior in the Cosby room. It's about the whether we care about financial results of a company more than we do about the company's impact on society. And unfortunately, we seem to reward companies for great financial results. But... I hope that we're getting more and more aware of the consequences of, uh, you know, how a company behaves and not looking merely at the bottom line. Because ultimately, a company's success is, has to be more than its quarterly result. It has to be whether they're a good citizen. I hope. No, it's, it's power so that's too. entrenched. 
uh, like Caroline is, uh, is talking about, like she probably says this, that if it was money, this problem would be solved because most uh, companies that are built of diverse teams make more money uh, and they are more profitable. So this is more entrenched power not being able to release itself rather than money. Ah. Because if you look at just general diversity, that those companies actually make more money. So it's not that. It's yeah. entrenched power that's not Is that widely known, itself. though? I mean, <laughs> you say that. Everybody, but- yeah, everybody that is, uh, you know, in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion will tell you that yeah. a diverse team, a diverse company is more profitable, has higher engagement from the employee, um, has better, um, even innovation uh, is fostered in a, in a diverse environment because you tend to disagree more with one another, right? Because right, you're bringing right. different perspective into the conversation. Um, but um, uh, yeah, the numbers are still what they are, which is very small. And, and I totally agree with, agree with, with Wesley that is about status quo and, and yeah. where the power is. And, and we going back to, you know, who we hire, we hire people that are like us. We hire people that we are comfortable with. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, uh, if the problem is at the manager's level, then you're surrounding yourself with people that are like you. And that's where you get to a culture that does the things that we read. I don't know if you, you watch the video where, um, the whole panel, so it was six of them, um, were asked about one uh, woman stood up to the mic and asked the question, it would be great to have, you know, female characters in gaming that don't look like somebody who just stepped out of Victoria's Secrets catalogue. Uh, and the the answer to that question was, well, which catalogue would you want them to step oh, out Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, nobody said, said and there were six men on that panel. And they were yeah. laughing and nobody said anything. And that to me was just like the best, you know, two minutes, not even of, yeah, that's why we got to where we got to. That was actually a Blizzard panel. Yep. Yep. I, I guess this is, I think, I like your analysis, Wesley. It's a little uh, Marxist, but okay. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, the same thing uh, with uh, we we know that renewable- actually it's capitalist. It's capitalist. If money drove drove everything, yeah, then we would tend to right. have that that model. But it's also about who's in power. I mean, we know that, for instance, uh, renewable energy is b- more jobs, better for the earth. You know, economically more powerful. But the entrenched incumbents make sure that that doesn't happen. So it really is. It's a power dynamic more than anything else. I think. Well, you can say the same the same thing about guns in the U.S. All right? everything, everything, everything. Uh, that's why we have uh, a problem in this democracy because uh, money talks, and uh, those in power have the money, and they're going to make sure they stay in power. That's why we have the best Congress money can buy. I'm going to see if I <laughs> let me see if I can find that uh, that panel because um, that would be a, a fun video. While you're looking for that, something from the non-tech side, where I work right now, diversity has become a big thing. It's been a big push. And what we keep getting told is diversity helps you transition. Diversity helps you survive change. Because if everything is monolithic, if the culture is all the same, when there's a change, you die. Um, And so that's been the big push around here. All of the committees that we've got running inside my state here – uh, they're now adding women. They're adding people of color. Good. And yes, there was pushback at first 
for like the first three years, but now people see it. There's actually results coming from it saying, oh, yeah, it makes more sense. We're getting better results. We're getting results that we can count on. And more importantly, we are now looking at what we need to be doing in three years rather than looking what we needed to be doing 10 years ago. Here is from a 2010 BlizzCon panel. I love what you guys done with Little Crest. I love the fact that you have a lot of very strong female characters. However, I was wondering if we could have some that don't look like they've stepped out of the Victoria's Secrets catalog. And a lot of women in that audience <laughs> yep. cheering. And some guys booing. What do you mean? Wait, wait. Hey, which catalog would you like them to step out of? Ha 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 cringe. Oh, cringe. Look Quick. at her face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. By the way, uh, Alex Afrasiabi uh, was uh, on that panel. He was on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And he apologized. Uh, I think he or somebody else on the panel apologized. I should have come up with a better answer. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rack you your brain. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Greg Street, who is the former World of Warcraft lead designer, said, boy, it was a t- terrible answer at the time. It certainly hasn't aged well. I wish I had said something better. <laughs> a little late at the time. Uh, Might have been nice. Yeah. All right. Of, I'm sorry I got caught. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really yeah, that's what exactly. it is. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Do you think it's that way at a, a lot of gaming companies? I mean, is this just the tip of the iceberg? I, look, uh, oh, oh, Hello Games. Hello Games actually has a very healthy culture. I, 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 I know Rooster Teeth has some problems. Runs. Rooster Teeth got yes. in trouble. Yep. Yes. Um, wow. Should should we uh, investigate the provenance of our games now <laughs> before we before we lay our sixty bucks down? How do you know? How do you find out? We do as a as a home. We do that with pretty much everything Good. that uh, we consume, and you know, sometimes you find out late, or you know, things are buried, or somebody just says something, and it's not. You know, I'm sure that as soon as people hear this, like, oh God, it's cancel culture. No, it's not. It is deciding that like you do for anything that you do for, you know, whether you're a vegetarian or not, you have some beliefs and you want to put your money and support and, you know, consume uh, content or or services that are aligned with your beliefs. And it's not about canceling anything. It's, it's just about walking away for something that just doesn't match yeah. your belief. Yeah. Put your money where your beliefs are. That's that's completely fair. Uh, let's take a little break. Um, boy, I thought this would be the light half of the show. <laughs> That's still to come. <laughs> Father Robert Ballas, Eric Carolina Milanese, and of course, Wesley Faulkner. Our show today brought to you by WordTune. Do you know about WordTune? This is another brand new sponsor. Really glad to have them here. Uh, I consider myself a good writer. I like to write, and I th- I've done a lot of it, so I've written a few books, and a few articles, and in fact, I started in this business as a writer. And uh, so sometimes when I look at things like WordTune, I go, "Oh, I don't need that." And then I started playing with it, and I went, "I need this. This is great." Imagine having the world's best editor looking at your drafts. You know, when you're in a time crunch and you have to write something important and impressive at the same time, it's stressful. 
Uh, we've all been there a time or two. Imagine how much easier writing would be if you had an expert on call to look at your drafts whenever you needed them to. That's WordTune, a writing partner in digital form. And even if you're a great writer, WordTune is not correcting you. WordTune is helping you get your words just right. Now, I use WordTune as a uh, Chrome extension. In fact, one of the cool things about WordTune is you can turn it on and use it on any site that you're on. Uh, I can use it with my messenger. Have WordTune look what I'm writing and suggest. But if you want to just try this out, I want you to go to the website because you can actually use WordTune for free directly from the website. Or you can even use the Chrome uh, extension for free and, and see what WordTune can do. In fact, I love it. The website has room for 280 characters. So before you your next tweet, have WordTune take a look at it. Uh, I use I put all my blog posts through it. And it's not that they're correcting grammar or spelling. That's not what WordTune does. What WordTune does is shows you the other ways to express what you're thinking. You don't have to agonize over the perfect sentence. WordTune helps you find it and helps you come up with ideas you may not use it, but it gives you lots of interesting ideas about how you can express what you want to say. WordTune instantly provides options based on your original words. They can really help take your writing to the next level. It can help stimulate thinking. It can make you more creative. Writing is perhaps the most important skill in any job. And if you're a blogger, even if you're a YouTuber, the words you write are really impactful. So it's important to write as well as possible. WordTune is the first AI-powered online writing tool that understands meaning. It's not, it's not just word by word. It actually gets the context so you can feel confident that what you're writing is as smart as you are every time. It understands what you're trying to say, suggests ways to make your writing more clear, more compelling, more authentic. It uses the most advanced language processing technology out there this is this is completely state-of-the-art ai now that's very very interesting it's a total game changer uh in fact let me just out of curiosity i could i could paste in here the copy that i'm about to read and let's let's see i'm gonna try it here uh, <laughs> it's ideal for professional writers looking for an edge, managers aiming to make their point perfectly, or anyone whose writing could use an occasional tune-up. Writing really matters. Good writing can help you succeed in work or school. Now, I've pasted this in at WordTune. Let me rewrite it. And note what it does is it gives you a variety of possible choices, a variety of ways to think about what you want to write. It's not just one suggestion or one grammatical rewrite. And I think I've found, even though I consider myself a great writer, I get great ideas for new ways to express even maybe more effectively the same idea. I just think WordTune is something everybody should have if you do any writing. It works anywhere you're working, online, Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, WhatsApp, and more. My listeners can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash twit. Get help writing your emails, reports, presentations, resumes, blogs today. Go to wordtune.com slash twit. I love having it uh, check out my uh, tweets before I tweet. As I said, I'm using it for my blog, wordtune.com slash twit. I think, just try it. The nice thing is you can try it completely for free and get a sense of what it will do. 
And I think you'll be very impressed. This is living up finally to the promise. Uh, you know, we've, we've heard about these tools for a long time. This really puts it in your hand, and it really is amazing. They have their own. There's a Chrome extension, which is great. Uh, but they also have a WordTune editor that you can use. Um, in fact, if you if you do decide to use the editor, make sure you write twit in when they ask you how did you hear about us. And uh, and now you can just paste it in and use the editor. So there's an online web-based editor that makes it very easy. And that's free. Wordtune.com slash twit. Thank them so much for their support of This Week in Tech. Uh, moving right along, I know there's some lighthearted stuff in here somewhere. Let's do something lighter. Maybe you have a cancer story? We could do that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, 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 uh. Senator Klobuchar proposes an unconstitutional law that would kill legions of people if Trump were still president. No, let's not do that one. Uh, <laughs> maybe, who's an expert here on quantum computing? You can explain... What time ah, crystals yes. are. Okay, so the second law of thermodynamics says that any spontaneous change is going to trend towards entropy. In other words, things get more disordered. That's just the natural flow of it's things. It's why you, you can't have more. a perpetual motion machine. Precisely. Unless you pour more energy into the system, it will just slowly become more disordered. So the time crystals, these things are amazing. They cycle through patterns. Which means they will go ordered, disordered, ordered, disordered, all without additional input of energy into the system. In other words, it completely breaks the second law of thermodynamics, which is it, – it's just a mind-blowing thing. Uh, I have no idea what the practical applications are, but the science behind it is amazing. <laughs> so Google says – this is a preprint they, they posted uh, Thursday night – that in collaboration with physicists from Stanford, Princeton, and other universities, they've used Google's quantum computer – to create and demonstrate a genuine time crystal. This is actually the second time crystal that's been created. Uh, earlier this month, a separate group claimed to have created a time crystal in a diamond, evading the second law of thermodynamics. Okay, I guess, uh, first of all, I think quantum computing is cuckoo, but now this is even <laughs> cuckooer. Uh, what a brave new world we're uh, we're about to enter. How close are we to getting quantum computers actually uh, doing any real work besides making time crystals? China's making the, the biggest advancements in quantum computing right now. Really? So, I mean, uh -oh. you'd want to be looking at their think tanks. Yep, yep. Wesley and you? IBM, both IBM and Google have done some, right. some amazing things. Right. Uh, I'm just amazed that we are the same human race that is coming out with this kind of um, breakthrough and yet struggles to put a mask on properly. So, <laughs> that's that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, I don't, maybe there's never been a time in human history where there's a greater gulf between <sighs> the, the smartest people and the dumbest people <laughs> i don't there's probably never been a uh, a time that the, the difference is so great but maybe that is actually a sign of a cultural problem uh it's kind of like the haves and the have-nots um it's not just money you maybe have education and have not education i don't know is that a should there be such a gulf Seems like that's well, I mean, a bad sign. Te technically, our, our corpus of knowledge continues to grow, and uh, communications technology puts most of that body of knowledge 
at the fingertips it's of people right there. who have access to it. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, knowledge, the corpus of knowledge doesn't mean understanding of that knowledge. And that's, I think that's really where the, the gulf is. Everyone can access everything. That doesn't mean that you're going to know what you're accessing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have no idea when they say it's uh, that, that, that we have a newly realized phase of matter in which particles move in a regular repeating cycle without burning any energy. But uh, there's a picture. <laughs> it's basically a perpetual motion machine. Yeah. Wow. Um, and how do we get them? Why did they, so the quantum computer is just doing the math? Did it actually make a time crystal? No. It, so it it's... They're, anytime someone says quantum, the, all they really mean is that they're pushing past our known boundaries of physics. Yeah, uh, Quantum computing is just a way of doing non-binary computing. Rather right. than ones and zeros, you can have an infinite number of values, right. which would speed up operation if we actually had software that could properly use that kind of processing power. Right. This is the same thing. We're going quantum in that we're, we're not following the rules of physics as established in, in Newtonian physics. So, you know, quantum, you know, it's, a, it's the Rick and Morty episode where you say you can't just say quantum in front of something and make it a sci-fi term. That's it's not like blockchain mean. where you can just say it in front of everything and everything's better. Well, no, magically. no, there's quantum blockchain. Now, that is a game changer. <laughs> so uh, I'm, try, I'm reading this article trying to figure out what Google did. Did they make... We're all trying to figure it yeah, out. <laughs> did they make one of these... They they did the math behind one of these. It's unclear. I don't think the computer can make anything. Um, so. I just want to chime in saying any claim about quantum and Google, wait. Yeah, that's my they've feeling. Are, they've, they've already made mistakes in terms of their reporting yeah. of what they've said in yeah. the past around quantum computing. Yeah. This could be something where it says, oops, we checked the numbers. We carried a one wrong. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I'm not sure. This doesn't make sense to me, but I, if it's true, that's amazing. Like I said, there is a bigger gulf than ever before in human history between the the big brains and the little brains, and I'm afraid I'm tending in the wrong direction at this point. So, uh, for, for anyone who's struggling understanding quantum, like like I am, um, there was a video that uh, Michael Pena, the the actor, did for Google. Where I don't, I encourage everybody to go and find it. And I can put in the notes the link. Yeah, to we the, saw the it video. during uh, the last Google I/O. Yeah, I, I think that I don't want to understand quantum in in a different way than that because it was. Uh, uh, it was you know, definitely was... a um, every for every man. Yeah, um, I feel like. Uh, I mean, I think I don't know. I've hey, been, Sundar, how's it going? There, there he is here. The way, by the way, Michael Pena in the That's Google it. Quantum Lab. Hey, hey, I'm Eric, lead engineer here. I'd like to welcome you to one of the most powerful quantum computing facilities. In yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think some of this is because that the Chinese government is doing it, so the federal government is pumping billions of dollars into quantum computer research, and a lot of these companies are going, hey, yeah, let's get some of that federal money. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I'm a skeptic, but uh, Father Robert, you, you're a little bit more a believer in the cutting edge. Do you think this is actually going to, in, in 10 or 20 or 50 years, there's going to be a quantum computer that could do something. Well, absolutely. Okay. I, I mean, uh, look, it's it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. We need to understand it enough so that we can design equipment and software and a different way of thinking that can utilize it. 
this is this is no different than what we did with the space program or what we did with the right. industrial revolution. Yeah, but the, it's, yeah, it's, this is a yeah. little more out there, though, don't you think? Well, I mean, show a, a phone to someone from the 1700s yeah. and they think it's witchcraft. What's the quote? Any sufficiently advanced technology will seem like magic. Yeah. I'm not remembering that properly. But I... Yes, that's uh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke's, and it's pretty close, I think. Any sufficiently advanced technology will seem like magic. Is indistinguishable. From indistinguishable magic. from magic. Um, I mean, yeah, if you think about mi microcomputer or microprocessor design, it's kind of hard to believe where we are. Uh, they have just uh, announced TSMC that they're going to build a two nanometer process plant. IBM has unveiled its first two nanometer chip technology uh, this while intel still stuck at 10 nanometer by the way um and it's kind of hard to imagine being able to make uh, a processor well like the uh, apple m1 processor that has 16 billion transistors on something the size of your pinky finger the pinky nail nail yeah uh, i learned a new term this week on windows weekly some of these processors, they're now, instead of saying 2 nanometer, they're calling them 20A processors, 20 angstrom processors. And it turns out that um, 20 angstroms is 2 nanometers. And as we get lower and lower, I guess we're going to have to go into angstroms, which is... It's like renumbering the warp scale. Yeah. Uh, so IBM, for instance, uh, has a roadmap now that goes uh, to 2025, 4 nanometer, 3 nanometer, 20 angstrom and 18 angstrom. On the other hand, you know, I think quantum computing is just uh, just uh, snake oil. But, uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm willing to be wrong. One, one of the things to remember, because every time one of these stories comes out about a new process that has been developed, which is great, by the way. I love the fact that we are, we're continually pushing the size of our dyes down. They always say, oh, but, you know, so-and-so is stuck on a... A five, a ten, a twenty IBM. nanometer. I mean, process. Intel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But you have to remember, for Intel, it's not just about innovation; it's also about product. Right. And what Intel has decided is: look, ten nanometer. We know it works. We're getting high yields. Yes, we could we could push down to five, four, and two nanometer, but then the issue becomes yields. At those at those sizes, you're going to have increasing numbers of, of bad uh, presses, bad processors. Right. So it's not worth it for them until the process becomes refined enough where they can say we can get 90% yields off of a 10-inch a, a waiver. And actually, uh, the other issue is that, it's, as many have pointed out, is that this, this measurement uh, is no longer appropriate. It made sense with a 2D die to measure right. the, the size of the uh, traces. But in fact, we have multiple dimensions now in the dice so really what we should be talking about is transistor density transistor density however uh, i guess the world is kind of used to the idea of measuring it in nanometers so these are these are equivalents i guess anyway I, I said ibm i meant to say I, intel has a yeah. intel 18 angstrom yeah. process for uh, 2025 they say although <laughs> their roadmap has been a little a uh, little a little bit of fiction for some time now so i don't know um, this is actually a more important uh, chart from a non-tech that I wanted to uh, point out. I pointed out before, translating nanometers into transistor densities, 
which really is more to the point. So when we're talking um, Intel's 10 nanometer process, that's roughly 100 million transistors per square millimeter. This new IBM processor is more than three times that, 333 million processors per square millimeter. That's that 20 angstrom process. So that maybe is more relevant. I understand things like that. Transistor density, I get that. I get that. Now, when we can make a computer with a time crystal, then, then we've got something. Uh, moving right along, how about the metaverse? Here it comes, according to Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> is this from Loki? And I Wanda love the leap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He, From something we don't understand to something else we don't something understand. Something else we don't understand. <laughs> you know, I knew this would happen at some point that uh, I would be able to keep up with technology for a certain number of years. And at some point, I'm just going to have to retire because I'll be saying nonsense <laughs> words that I don't understand. <clears throat> the metaverse I, I've heard of because that goes back to the great Neil Stevenson novel, uh, Snow Crash. And there's been a lot of sci-fi since that 1992 novel talking about the idea of a, a, a computer-generated world that seems as realistic as our world that you can somehow get in, usually by plugging in a cable, a thick cable into the back of your head, like Neo in the Matrix. Uh, and then once you're in it, you know, you can travel around, you can fly, you can do all sorts of things that you couldn't do in the real world, but it's indistinguishable from the real world otherwise. I think, I think a lot of uh, tech executives' brains have been... Uh, <laughs> propagandized by reading this science fiction. Zuckerberg uh, has announced that Facebook, he says, don't think of us as a social media company. We are a metaverse company. And this may not be new. Remember, he bought Oculus. Yeah. Um, so he's they're absolutely thinking even then about uh, some sort of social network that would be a, a, a virtual reality space. I love this explanation of it. And they said something along the line of, it's like the internet. You can do everything that you do on the internet and things that you cannot do on the internet, like dancing. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Well, it's about <laughs> that time. That makes it clear. <laughs> Thank goodness I can dance finally in the metaverse. Um, is is this what does this mean? <laughs> I mean, I understand what the metaverse is. I understand why Mark would like to say, "Hey, we're a metaverse company." But what does it mean practically from from the point of view? What is how is this going to change Facebook? Go ahead, Wesley. I was going to say the image that popped into my head um, when I was reading this article was not Ready Player One per se, but um, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, which was talking about the Cylons, but there was a prequel that explains that called Caprica. Oh yeah. Loved Caprica. Um, yes. And, and that, um, they had this, this thing called a hollow band or I forget what it was called. Um, and they would go into another space. Um, and this, that's what, um, what came to mind when I read this article of what he's envisioning, where there's, there's CD parts, there's good parts, there's, parts for school that there's parts you can create and, and work on your own world. Um, so if you're not familiar with crap Caprica, watch that. And uh, I think that'll probably be really close to what he's saying, but to how's this, you know, married to Facebook is that um, when governments are trying to re regulate, you create your own world where there are no governments, maybe. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> 
come up with the. Uh, uh, He's more it, ambitious it than Larry Page, who wanted a Google Island at one yes. point. Yes, <laughs> this is a little more ambitious. He does say, doesn't he, that there won't be any government in charge in the metaverse. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like when everyone's in a different country or a different organization, and you're all meeting in this "quote unquote" neutral place or this place online, how do you govern that? per se. It's like really complicated because it's a, it's almost like international waters. So um, it's, 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 this could be like a giant land grab akin to Roblox. It's a platform where people can make their own stuff and plug into it. But if you control that platform, it's supposed to be open, but yet you have to conform to those rules. Um, I think that is a really good form of control where you uh, create the, the elemental parts that people piece together um, it's what he was saying, like, it'd be, um, kind of like, uh, you can make your own pieces and it'll, everyone, anyone can be a part of this ecosystem. It's almost like when internet Explorer made their own, um, uh, Java competitor. Um, they, they can roll out these things on their own platform that will not be necessarily compatible, but other people can be a little bit more compatible, but they'll always have the edge if they control the technology. So um, it makes sense to them that it, if the strongest thing that they can do in their old platform was connect people and then throw ads in, this is another way to connect people, but then throw other ads in. <laughs> so this is a land grab. It is, yeah. It's all about commerce, as, as, you know, from the way that uh, Zuckerberg was talking about it. But, you know, if what Wesley just said absolutely scares me out of my own skin when I think about how abusive of a platform Facebook is today and misinformation and everything else. And you get to do that in something that feels much more real to you, right? Much more immersive. So if we're talking about um, abuse and, and bullying and, and all the rest that comes with it, um, how scary of a world would that be? It's interesting that Zuckerberg's taking a page from Tim Cook's playbook. Uh, this was during the analyst call. Cook for uh, years now has and his analyst calls saying we're very bullish about augmented reality. We're very without actually announcing a product, without even saying, you know, what they plan to do with augmented reality. Just we're very bullish on augmented reality. And, and I think you know, Zuckerberg's doing the same thing with Facebook. They've created a metaverse group. They brought, they announced executives are going to run it. They say thousands of new employees. But they really, you know, it's very nebulous what he's described. Um, it seems to me it's one of those things that he knows that uh, geeks will go, oh, that's cool. I can't wait to get that. But right now it's Oculus uh, Quest, uh, you know, and you have to sign into Facebook to use it. And it's not that really uh, immersive of, a, of an experience. He thinks well, uh, investors my, are as skeptic as you are. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. They, they, not, yeah, they didn't help the stock price. He thinks that Microsoft will play along. Roblox, Nvidia, Epic, uh, you know, they all have their. And I guess that's how it is in Ready Player One, right? Uh, there's like it's certainly the way it is in Neil Gibson's. Uh, I don't know what he calls it. Metaverse. Neil Stevenson uh, calls it uh, the metaverse, where it's different kind of corporate islands. And but they all interconnect, and you can move around, and there's different rules and different environments. I guess that sounds interesting. Do you think it'll happen in uh, the next twenty years? God, I hope not. <laughs> really, <laughs> I would have thought of all people, Father Robert, you would em embrace this. You love, you know, Factorio or 
You know, you and I, I both play Valheim. We like these immersive worlds. In some ways, I played Valheim so much uh, for about 400 hours in just a couple of months. That's like a full-time job that it felt like another life. That like that was my other life that I was going to go into. Um, and, and I get that. Immersive entertainment is it's interesting and it is very attractive for what it can give us. But I mean, right now I'm struggling with stepping away from my screens because everything I do from entertainment to work to communicating with friends is done through my screens. I don't want a metaverse. I don't want something that everything in life is supposed to take place in. I want life to take place in life. And this seems like it's going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Give me a great tool. That's fine. I, I, I will use it. Give me access to human knowledge. I'll use it. Tell me that the only way I can interact with the world is through a screen. No. Well, maybe it's not a screen. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a big cable you plug into the back of your head. Well, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but keep in mind that they're in a place where they can't acquire new users. Like the government mm -hmm. won't let you buy new mm -hmm. companies. And mm -hmm. so they have to right. create something that's mm -hmm. going to be the next big thing because they're saturated in their current. Even though they're making still making money, they need to have something. We're going to be the next big thing in order to show or signal that we're going to continue to grow. Um, and so they have to go in this direction. Uh, William Gibson it is, called it cyberspace. Somebody's telling me in the chat room. That's right. He invented the word cyberspace for this. And and uh, in Neuromancer, they they jack in, right? They they plug in. Go ahead. I'm sorry, uh, Caroline. No, that's okay. It is the same shift that we've seen from PC to mobile, right? So what what comes next? And so this is that's what everybody's trying to figure will, out. Right? Yeah, yeah. Is how and and it's interesting because you know Fowler was talking about entertainment. He didn't really talk about that. He specifically talked about commerce. And so the idea of uh, being more immersed in what you're experiencing, being a service or a product, which I thought was quite interesting, really appealing to the advertisers, uh, not necessarily content creators per se. Oh, I think that's really interesting. Do you think that's a mistake? Do you think it should start? I mean, look, look what YouTube did. They started with the content creators. Look what TikTok does. They started with the content creators. Somebody has to make the content before you can sell it. Well, you, yeah, you need to get people there before you can you can pitch something to them, right? And I'm not going to go somewhere just because you're going to try no. and sell me something. In fact, the genius of YouTube and TikTok is they created a platform where they somehow persuaded if actually in some ways this is the genius of Facebook. They somehow persuaded a lot of people to create a ton of compelling content for free and then created an algorithm that would pick the best most compelling content and show you that and generate this incredible flywheel uh that and then and only then you you uh, sell i just read that tiktok now has three has had three billion downloads uh that's pretty good in a world where there's only seven and a half billion people three billion <laughs> downloads you know, at some point, we're all going to become immune to the little micro doses of serotonin that we get from every like and retweet and Ugh. sharing of our videos and our content. It's, I mean, that's a biological fact. You can't keep doing that forever. Yeah, um, they call it so, ahedonia, the inability yeah. to have pleasure. <laughs> you, you've burned it out. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, at least that's why I do an eight day retreat every year. I disconnect from everything. Yeah, I think that's smart. I think we should we're going to all do that. At least 
Uh, Rick Astley got his billion views. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to Rick roll you. Fear not. But uh, the he Rick... remastered it yeah. in HD. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. A, yeah. So uh, the official video for Rick Astley's 1987 hit, Never Gonna Give You Up, is now a one billion view video on YouTube because of Rick Rolling, right? I don't think without Rick Rolling, there would be, in fact, anybody watching this video. <laughs> and furthermore, in case you don't know, Rick Rolling is, of course, punking somebody by sending them a link to something they really want, and instead they get a video of Rick Astley. Never gonna give you up dancing like they danced those days. He's really young in that. He was very grateful, by the way. I, I, uh, did, did he know when did he learn that he was that what Rick Rolling was? Because I'm sure I think it's when it, when he got Rick Rolled. <laughs> <laughs> Someone probably sent him his own video. <laughs> uh, um, he uh, is very grateful. He uh, his career obviously got a little a little kick in the butt. Um, all of his parents explaining to their kids who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Here he is uh, expressing his gratitude, Rick Astley. Let me go back. So I've just been told that Never Gonna Give You Up has been streamed a billion times on YouTube. That is mind-blowing. The world is a wonderful and beautiful place, and I am very lucky. <laughs> and now you know why we use sound engineers when we record audio. <laughs> <laughs> And we don't record on a lake. Yeah, that's, what is he, in a boat? Weird. What the hell is he? He's, doing, he's on a boat. <laughs> he missed an opportunity to, like, start off saying they was thinking and then cut into the Rick He should have actually cut to it, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. One billion views. That's nothing. I mean, uh, Oppo, Oppo Gangnam Style. Where, where are we now with Oppo Gangnam Style? Uh, there are many multi-multi-billion. It did, but mm -hmm. uh, there are many, many multi-billion view what is the most viewed YouTube video, I wonder? Let me see. I always think he kind of looks like you in this, uh, by the way, Oppo Gangnam style, Father Robert. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like it's, it's kind of Father Robert singing this song. <laughs> I um, danced to this thing enough. Yeah, God knows. <laughs> we had fun. We had a lot of fun with this. This this song single handedly it proved the concept for the studio for the brick house because there was so much entertainment that wasn't in the show. Yeah, we it could was actually between the show. And you mastered that uh, strange uh, dance that he does with he's riding the horse. Okay. <laughs> you, you actually were quite yeah. you were quite good at that. Four point one, four point one billion views on. Uh, oh my goodness! Oppo Gangnam Style, but I don't think that that's the uh, top. I think there's seven billion view uh, songs now, so one billion isn't all all that great. I suppose if I went. But, to but okay, look, you know what? Uh, that song, "Never Gonna Give You Up," is it's actually a good song. It's an '80s song. I mean, it's a period mm -hmm. piece. It is. It's not just a, a, a meme. It's not just a role. Actually, I think um, "Baby Shark" might be the. <laughs> <laughs> most most viewed nine billion views for Baby oh my Shark. goodness nine, are you serious nine billion also views. korean also korean there's something going on there's something in the water 
Should we just play uh, a little actually, bit of that? Let's just play a little bit of that just to oh, no, drive no, away no. all the you'll, you'll get a copyright strike for sure. Will you? If you play it? Yeah. I, actually, uh, Ali Spagnola broke this down. She explained why that song is so addictive. It's because it ends on a minor chord. And anytime we hear that, we want resolution to So you to play it regular, again. You play it again, and, he, and it never happens. Please, so it's, Mommy, it's give me a major chord, please. Oh. <laughs> I was completely blissfully unaware of this song until we were in Dubai a year ago. And, you know, in Dubai, they have the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building, was the tallest building mm-hmm. in the world. and has lights going up and down. And in front of mm-hmm. it, they have uh, a fountain display, kind of like in Vegas uh, in front of the yeah. Bellagio where it fires. And they play music at, on the hour and they do the thing. So we're standing there waiting for the fountain display and there it goes, baby shark. And I had never heard this song before. But you know what? It ended in a minor note, and that really bothered me. It uh, you I want the resolution? Again. Yeah, that actually makes again sense. and again I think that and makes again. Sense. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Our show today, <laughs> Father Robert Ballasare, playing the devil's advocate today. Um, <laughs> nice, to have my a, favorite job. Nice to have a Jesuit playing devil's advocate. Actually, I think the Jesuits invented devil's advocate, didn't they? I think uh, they did. I'll, I'll have to check. Research the that. Ask the ask the guy. <laughs> it's. The information would be in the archives about yeah. 20 feet away from Oh, me, so. yes. We in the vein to the devil's advocate. That's, I should not do that accent because Carolina Milanese is here. She says you sound like Father Guido Sarducci. What the hell is that supposed to be? Thanks for joining us, Carolina. She'll never come back. Founder of the Heart of Tech. I'm sorry. I was trying really hard not to do that. And Wesley Faulkner. You're forgiven. Thank you. Head of community at his brand new biz, Single Store. Is that singlestore.com? Yes, it is. Singlestore.com. Very nice. Our show today brought to you by Podium. You know, it's funny in the, uh, in the, when you were in business, it's funny how uh, technology changes and the expectation changes. So, you know, in the early days, if you didn't have an answering machine, like people called your business and nobody answered, you had to have a service at least, then an answering machine. And then a little later on, you had to have a website, right? Uh, an email address so people could contact you. These days, and I kid you not, and I think if you think about it, it's really true. If you're a business and you don't text, if you can't do text messaging, you're kind of not modern. One of the good things that's come out of this kind of whole COVID thing is on demand. You know, blockbuster movie releases at home, curbside pickup from your favorite restaurant, remote health checks. With these changes, your customers come to expect a, a, an easier, friction-free way of doing business. Now, and I don't care what your business is, but if you're a, a business and you're not using text messaging, you're really missing the way your customers want to interact with you. 90,000 local businesses of all sizes have turned to Podium. Whether you have one location or a 1,000, Podium, P-O-D-I-U-M, can help you stay ahead. They make doing business as easy as sending a text. Because, you know, texts get opened at a much higher rate than email. Uh, when texts get opened, business gets done. All your employees can use Podium text from a single inbox. That's a huge improvement. Employees love it. It's a much smoother experience for your customers, too. So if you're answering questions, you can send a text. If you're collecting reviews, Podium can help you with that. Send a text and you get many more reviews. If you're scheduling an appointment or delivery, send a text. Nowadays, if my dentist doesn't text me before my appointment, I don't even know if I have an appointment. Uh, payment collection? Yes, 
Podium can do that too. Just send a text. Car dealerships are selling more cars by using text messaging. No one wants to talk to an automobile salesman. I'm sorry, guys. It's true. But a few text messages really can be effective. Podium has a dealership that sold a $50,000 truck in four text messages. Dealerships are running profitable service centers with easier appointment scheduling and reminders. And just think about it as a customer. Wouldn't you prefer, instead of calling the dealership to schedule an appointment, sending a text message? It just works better. It's more the way it fits your life. Home service providers are responding faster, winning more jobs in their competition. When a homeowner wants to get in touch, they don't leave a voicemail. Texting lets you get back in touch faster. And you know what? If if a, a homeowner says, I'm going to text four different uh, glass repair. I know I did this just the other day. Four different glass repair companies. The one that gets back to the text fastest, that's the one that gets the job. Retailers are increasing revenue by allowing customers to shop via text message. Even as stores start to open, a lot of us don't want to go into the store. You can ask for reviews, and people are much more likely to review on Google or Yelp or any of the review platforms you prefer. You can get payments that way. A, a dentist in New York City had over a million dollars in overdue collections. He sent everyone a text payment request via Podium, collected 70%, $700,000 in just two weeks. It really works. Because people, people aren't trying not to pay you. It just make it convenient for them, and they'll do it. Today's customers want on-demand everything, even from local businesses, especially from local businesses. This is how you compete against the big guys. Stay ahead of the competition with Podium. They have free plans for growing businesses, but as you grow, they have all the power you'll need to scale. Get started free today. Podium, P-O-D-I-U-M dot com slash twit. That's Podium dot com slash twit. Does your 14-year-old play Baby Shark over and over and over again, Carolina? Is that why you hate that song? Used to. And they did it as punishment. <laughs> because they they knew they, they knew. would get to, yeah. And then we would just both, um, you know, go on with it for, it was um, Let It Go and then Baby Shark. Oh, Let It Go. Yeah, from uh, Frozen. That, mm-hmm. that, was a, that was one I hear parents bemoan all the time we when i my kids are much older they're 26 and 29 it was barney uh in in my day and man barney would drive me up the wall so i know wesley what is your <laughs> what does your kid do to punish you uh usually it's actually ignore me is what they do <laughs> um, but i used to be a, a software tester at a microprocessor company and we had to test all kinds of software and the thing that tortured me was teletubbies Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. The oh, yes. <laughs> uh, remember Martin Shkreli, the pharma bro. Pharma bro. Farmer bro. Had a lot of money, was a little brash, a little outspoken. Finally got done in, uh, serving time right now. He had raised the price of a life saving drug 5,000%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, later convicted of securities fraud. He's serving uh, seven years in prison. Among the things he bought with his ill-gotten gains, a one-only copy of a Wu-Tang Clan album. This was before NFTs, but clearly Wu-Tang Clan knew how to capitalize on this. They created an album called Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, and they auctioned it off. Only one person gets that album. An anonymous buyer... Uh, 
has it now. Martin Shkreli had to forfeit it as part of his $7.4 million forfeit judgment. And the federal government has just sold off <laughs> once upon a time in Shaolin to an anonymous buyer. It was a 31-track album Shkreli bought for a reported $2 million back in 2015. Uh, there is no physical or digital duplicate in existence. It's actually better than an NFT, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, included appearances from uh, the wider Wu-Tang family. I don't know what this means. I'm just reading this <laughs> from NPR. NPR apparently knows who Red Man and Kill Army are. Upon learning it was Shkreli who bought the album, Wu-Tang member, how do you say that, Father Robert? Arza? Larissa. Larissa. Rizza? The RZA. The RZA told Bloomberg the group decided to give a significant portion of the proceeds to charity. I don't know how much. Let me see how much the anonymous buyer paid. Do we know? No. It was more than the $2 million really? that uh, Farmer Bro paid for. See, it was because it investment. settled out the debt. It settled out his debt to, to the government. Oh, you're so, kidding. Yeah, it was a decent investment. The contract of sale says the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York, contains a confidentiality provision that protects information relating to buyer and price. So we may never know. But his fa his payment of his forfeiture is now complete. That's it. Evidently, that wasn't the only one-of-a-kind album that he owned. I can't remember who the artist was, but there was another album that was similar. It was the only copy, would never be re-recorded, would never be performed live. And so there are stories of him sitting in his apartment by himself, just listening to these albums the album, and realizing only I he's the only one who will I hear it. Only I can listen to this album. Oh, yeah. It came in a hand-carved nickel-silver box, a leather-bound manuscript containing lyrics, and a certificate of authenticity. Wu-Tang Bao. <laughs> for context, for people who don't know Martin Screlly, he is the kind of jerk that other jerks looked at and say, man, that's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> He was, to in some ways, to his credit, an unapologetic jerk. It was like he ne right. he wasn't like this these Blizzard people saying, "Oh, I'm sorry." Oh no, <laughs> no he leaned he into it. it. He, he no. owned his jerkiness. That's uh, uh, funny. You see, he didn't even have to buy a unique something to do it on his own because nobody wants to do it with him anyway. So. You know, right. now in a way, now billionaire jerkiness, we're just kind of used to it. It doesn't uh, it doesn't phase us. We just kind of he was ahead of his time. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> he he was a pioneer in douchebag. Uh, yeah, <laughs> early douchebag. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Sony has sold 10 million PS5s, which is amazing considering you can't get one. I don't know who these people are buying them. Uh, that's more than uh, 2 million, up more than 2 million from the 7.8 they announced in April. So the PS5 is way outselling uh, any console in Sony's history. Even though... It is quite amazing given the shortages. Yeah, they can't make them. People are. We got one for my 18 year old. He got it, but it was hard. I remember uh, we didn't. We weren't able to get it at, at release. We we just you know you had to hammer all these retailers constantly. Finally managed to find one. Um, you know who pioneered this strategy? 
Apple? Nintendo. Oh, no, you're Nintendo. right. Yeah. If you if you read the book Console Wars, which is it's a fantastic read about Sega versus Nintendo. Right. Nintendo their their official strategy was to always overpromise and underdeliver on console scarcity. It's the scarcity. You create scarcity, and uh, Sony has turned it into a science. I, I don't know if that is as intentional as the Nintendo one, though. I, you know, I think that right. we, we would have I happily think, sold yeah. more I if think they, they could make them. If they could have sold twenty million, they would have absolutely. Yeah. I, I think yeah. five million of the uh, of the PS fives are actually bought up by an eBayer who's one at a time selling yeah, them off at I uh, think 100% you're right. markups. What is the what? Is, actually, I should check. I I did not pay. We did not buy a uh, a scalped uh, PS Five. We actually bought, you know, from retailer at at, a, at retail. Let me just see. Oh, they've gone down. The prices have gone down. They're around eight hundred fifty dollars now to get a brand new PS Five. That's a lot I just, less. I, the last console I owned was an Xbox Three Six. No, Xbox One. Wow, really? It's been a while. Yeah. And why? Because you like PC gaming. Well, because I, I travel a lot and it's, mm. I, I can do all my gaming on my yeah, PC, yeah. so I don't need to carry around a console. Yeah, yeah. Did you uh, get in line and buy the Steam console, the Steam Deck? Uh, no, but someone in the Vatican did. What? Wait a minute. <laughs> Somebody did. Who could that Not be? Not a priest. There's a, there a lay person. Oh, and okay. I, Not the Pope. <laughs> Not to, no no no. no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although he will own you in see in COD. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You don't want to play Call of Duty with the Holy Father because he, you know he's, he's a, got reflexes like you wouldn't oh, believe. Man, like a cat. <laughs> he will three sixty no scope you every day of the week. <laughs> uh, Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney. Oh man. <sighs> The, this is how you know her contract is really done. Like this, <laughs> it's all cards on the table. Was this the last movie she was going to make for them? I guess it must. This it is it. now. Yeah, Black it Widow, of course. Uh, but now she made a very, very good deal that would allow her her compensation, according to her attorneys, would be based largely on box office receipts generated by the movie. But of course, uh, thanks to COVID. Disney Plus had the movie day and date uh, of its release in theaters. Mm -hmm. And while it was $30 to watch it, uh, apparently that affected her revenue. Her lawyers estimate a loss of about $50 million. She said her contract very specifically says uh, it has to be from, uh, you know, that she gets a box office. And uh, let me see, there's a... Disney said... There's no merit whatsoever to this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 panic. Oh, come on! Which is why they were charging you $30 for yeah. it instead yeah. of releasing right. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they did say she made she was paid $20 million to, to be in the movie. Her lawyers say there's another $50 million left on the table. That's an interesting peek into the life of a... Hollywood movie star, seventy million dollars. But they also said that the, that they didn't even 
like she tried to reach out to him saying, hey, before you do this, before you do this, this is an issue with my contract. And they basically like ignored her. They blew her off. off. This is her only recourse to even have a conversation with them. I remember when Warner Media announced they were going to do the same thing with Warner movies, that there was a a, a real concern among uh, artists in those movies that this was going to kind of uh, steal money from them. Um, all the movie theaters, well, are not happy about well, this, they're obviously. definitely <laughs> pre-pandemic, yeah. you know, because now is you're created a precedent, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they're going to deal with it long term. Even if it's not at the same time, but say maybe you need to wait a month for lots of people, especially you know families where you end up spending more on popcorn and drinks than you do the the tickets when you go to the cinema. Um, it's quite convenient for certain things, and I and I think you know the, the whole back and forth between um, Scarlett Johansson and, and Disney. Uh, for me, it boils down to there is a contract. What does the contract say? And if they did breach the contract, you know, pandemic or no pandemic, uh, she has the right to save that. Whether or not, um, you know, they decide how they go about, it shouldn't have been a unilateral decision on Disney's part uh, to change the term of the contract. Yeah, Warner Warner gave uh, Gal Gadot money uh, for Wonder Woman because mm-hmm. of that same issue, but apparently Disney wasn't willing to. Uh, Johansson's lawyers point out that Disney had some a good reason to do this because it beefed up Disney plus and that potentially there was more money to be made in Disney plus money. They did not have to give, uh, Ms. Johansson, uh, apparently was in her contract that the release of the picture would be a theatrical release. Mm -hmm. The question is theatrical only. She says it's understood by everybody in Hollywood. Theatrical means you put it out in the theater and then 90 to 120 days later, you, you offer it for streaming or on DVD. Uh, but that's maybe not explicitly stated. So there was a theatrical release. Uh, Disney, I think, taking advantage of it a little bit. We'll see what the lawyers end up with. Uh, and remember, this is not the first time that Disney has tried to take advantage of its big ticket actors. Actually, they had a problem with Scarlett Johansson. They had a problem with uh, with uh, Hemsworth. They tried to cheap out on their contracts. The reason why Disney wasn't able to do it is Robert Downey Jr. stood up and he said... I will step away if you don't pay them what's owed. Good. So now that he's out of the picture, they don't have that protection. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, it's also interesting to look at audiences and to your point about bringing audiences to Disney Plus versus the cinema. I was looking out of curiosity because there, there was um, somebody theorizing that it was um, – um, a chick flick, if you want to call it that, right? It, it is, was more targeted to uh, women. And when I kind of look at see uh, the movies that did well in the past with, with women, like Frozen, as an example, and then I, I wanted to see if um, how people, how audiences feel, women versus men, about COVID and going to the theater. Ah. And, uh, and women are much more reluctant and they have a higher concern oh. around COVID and public spaces than men do. And so, you know, if you, and maybe I'm just trying to explain this in a way that no, did not uh, Carol- even cross Carolina, their mind. You can say it. You can say it. Women are smarter about COVID. Just that's fine. <laughs> no, but <laughs> but no is you know maybe that's what it was that they didn't think they were going to get the audience that they were hoping for in the theater because it was a skewed audience towards a female, uh, you know, uh, audience, and so they moved it 
to uh, Disney Plus sooner than they intended to try and capture that. The lawsuit. But, I mean, they got quotes, the same thing with Captain Marvel. Yeah. The I mean, lawsuit. Captain Marvel, the, the bros hated it. Right. I'm sorry. Yep. Because she was a woman. Yeah. Uh, the lawsuit cites a variety article from February, which said that Marvel Studios president, president Kevin Feige, is it Feige? Uh, was opposed to the hybrid rollout, but that Disney, the executives higher up at Disney, forced him to do it. Either overruled him or convinced him to change his mind. He was reportedly angry and embarrassed about the decision and tried to convince them not to release Black Widow and Disney Plus until after the standard theatrical window. So that's interesting. Uh, That sounds like then maybe it is the higher-ups who said, well, we've done the math and we're going to make more money if we don't pay Scarlett $80 million. Uh, That's shameful. And I mean, just think about doing that to an actress who has been part of the biggest money maker yeah. in cinema history. Yeah. That's just that's so strange. Uh, because because they realize actors are dying to work with them and they they will they know that they'll take the shaft right. just to be in the Marvel universe. That's right. oh, I hate that. Right. I remember I'm not sure who said it first, but someone said that this is going to settle before it actually goes to trial. Oh, of course it discovery will. Discovery yeah. is going to be you do not want for Disney. You don't want yeah. those emails to be uh, released. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. We did talk a little about, about results. I guess a couple of takeaways that I didn't get into. Uh, one of the reasons Google had such, or Alphabet had such a good quarter is that digital ad sales way up, uh, especially on YouTube, lots of money to be made from digital ad sales. I guess that's a good thing for me. I don't know. I don't. I didn't see any of that money, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, Spotify well, can, can said I say- ad revenue is up 110% as well. So that's... Uh, that's big. Yeah. YouTube, YouTube ads have become so weird for me. I, I, and this is not my fuzzing because I have no servers in India. But for some reason, all my ads are Bollywood flicks now. <laughs> so, so, so you, wait a minute. Got you, don't, you don't get to both misinform advertisers about who you are and where you are <laughs> and then complain about the ads you get as a result. You don't get no, to have I mean, it both ways. My ads I, I, are perfectly tuned <laughs> to who I am. But I, I have no point of presence in India. So when I get the Russian ads, when I get the, the England, the UK ads, the you Ireland ads, the, I understand that. Bollywood? Maybe they... Bollywood? They, you know, you don't know what data point, what made-up data point they're using. <laughs> to Maybe fi- they saw that video of you dancing and they thought yeah. that... <laughs> oh, he lo- that's right. They misunderstood your yeah, dancing. Right. They said, oh yeah, he loves Bollywood. I got a call <sighs> from a guy terrified that his Kindle would no longer work. And I said, it's not Amazon's fault. The uh, first and second generation Kindles will no longer be able to get online using the 3G network. Remember what that happened when the Kindles came out? It was kind of amazing. They said, uh, internet access forever. forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, it was 2G or 3G access, and you could use it to buy and download books from the Amazon store. But as the uh, cell phone companies sunset their 3G networks at the end of this year and next... Uh, those Kindle devices won't work. I think Amazon's handled it pretty well. I mean, I don't think they have a responsibility. Uh, it's not their fault that the network's being uh, uh, discontinued. They are offering uh, some uh, discounts 
to older Kindle owners. $70 off a new Kindle Paperwhite or Kindle Oasis, Oasis plus $25 in ebook credits. Um, but you do need a promo code from the email Amazon sent you. Without that, first-generation Kindle owners only get a $5 Amazon gift card. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of crappy. Uh, <laughs> um, and you can still plug in those Kindles via USB to add books to it. So it's not like they're useless. They still work. But Oh, uh, but the, the OTA feature on those Kindles that was, was really so cool. much fun. They were great. Yeah, and if your Kindle has Wi-Fi, the early ones did not. But if you have a later Kindle that has Wi-Fi, of course, you can still use Wi-Fi. But the early, the first couple didn't have anything. But this, this what do they call it? Something sync. I can't remember what they called it. But it was... Whisper sync? No, no, no. Whisper that's, a, that's a Microsoft. Oh no, that's new. That's a Microsoft thing. Yeah, I can't remember. No, no. Whisper sync. Microsoft is for their is MBAs. with audio books. Yeah. Uh, sync the audible books with. Uh, I can't. Maybe it is Whisper sync. This isn't in the rundown, but they're handling it better than Tesla did when they said that you'll never have to upgrade your hardware for. That's right. Um, <laughs> for autonomous driving, and then they say, "Oh, if it's earlier than 2019, yes, you do have to do an upgrade." Yeah, for what? A hundred bucks a month? Stuff. What? Five hundred bucks a month? It was some. Huge... I think it was like f- f- five grand to get new hardware. You buy the so, hardware for, five and grand. you have to get this, and then you, you pay get a monthly software. fee. Yeah. yeah, crazy. I want to see what loyalty retention is like. We've noticed that you haven't paid your subscription this year, so we're running you into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Knock that off. Um, Make the insurance pay. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. I got some Italian for you. We put this in just for you, Carolina. Oh, shoot. They disabled it. Oh, man. So it's the fastest man. No, it's the the story of the Italian Olympics announcer who gave out his password. Oh, I saw that. Yes. During your broadcast. And I have been playing it uh, all week. And then I thought, wow, I got, I got an actual Italian speaker on here. So you could tell us what La Porca Misaria means. But, uh, but uh, unfortunately, uh, this media has been disabled in response to a report by the copyright owner. I guess the embarrassment. I was actually uh, quite impressed that it didn't, that Porca Miseria was the only thing he said. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty tame. Uh, oh, know, I know it's... worse words. I uh, I used to play chess with an Italian master, and he taught me some <laughs> nasty words. Which, by the way, I used. We were in Portofino last year, and I used it. And the, man, did I get some looks? People, I got the I got the idea that you should not say this out loud. Um, so yeah, I think you yeah. But porca misari is okay. Of... That's just yeah, like, what that's the hell? Not, what the hell? Yeah, it's what the, yeah. What the hell? It's, no it's, it's very tame. So, so John is telling me that uh, we got a takedown from the Olympic Committee for playing that oh, video. Oh, gosh, yes. Anything Olympics even remotely was in the connected. title. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. They are so It's like Super Bowl. You can't say it. Can't say Super Bowl. Can't say. Oh, <laughs> Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. <laughs> Olympics, 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 Olympics. You can say uh, it. You can't put it in the title, apparently. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna rename that bit. I have not watched any of the Olympics. I refuse the the draconian measures that the IOC takes, both on the media side and on the they're financial kinda, side. They're kind of evil, aren't they? I can't. They're, yeah, they're the they're probably the most corrupt either. organization on the face of the planet, even more than than uh, than FIFA. And FIFA is terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and what's the deal with the Russian Olympic Committee? 
they're still Russians. I know they're... That's oh, crazy. Anyway, uh, let's take a little break and uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up with our great panelists. Carolina, did they warn you this is a five-hour show? I hope they did. They did. Okay, good. <laughs> no, we're going to wrap this up. You've been very, you've been very patient. Uh, Carolina Milanese, uh, it's great to have you. It's great to have Father Robert Balasser and, of course, Wesley Faulkner. I packed the lunch. The <laughs> Smart man. Smart I'm wearing man. a catheter. <laughs> Our no, show today, good. I don't want to know. Our show today, brought, <laughs> I am wearing my flamingo shirt. And look at my Ooh, baseball nice. braces. So I'm talking to a guy who was an expert in antique headwear and sh hats during the radio show today. And he told me something that was kind of a revelation. He said, you know how, like, Fred Mertz, when he'd come over, his pants would be up to his, his breast line? He said, that's how people wore pants with suspenders until the pant makers realized they were wasting a lot of material and started just <laughs> making them around the hips. So now I want to wear my pants up here. That's why we think old people do that. It's not that they're old. It's that they have old pants. <laughs> Although there is a direct correlation between people who own old pants and their age, I think. But anyway, our sh I don't know why I mentioned that, except that I was showing you <laughs> my pants. Our show today brought to you by ExpressVPN. Big fan. It's a look. I think you, anybody who watches our shows understands the value and the use for it, a VPN. But then the question is, which VPN? And I will tell you, absolutely critical. You want a VPN that respects your privacy. In other words, does not log anything you're doing on the VPN. You want a VPN that invests in infrastructure so it's fast, so you don't feel like you're paying a penalty for your privacy and security. You want a VPN like Express VPN. If you have ever read the fine print, when you you know you're in a browser and you launch incognito mode or private browsing mode, nobody reads the message that comes up. But the message says, even though you're in incognito mode, your activity might still be visible to your employer, your school, your internet service provider. In fact, the only person it's incognito from is somebody else using the same computer. If you really want to stop people from seeing what you're doing online, you need ExpressVPN. Whether you're using Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, a hotel, at your parents' house, <laughs> even at home, every site you visit can be logged by whoever runs that network, even when you're in incognito mode. And when you're at home, believe me, Comcast, AT&T, whoever your home internet provider is, they can see and record your browsing data. In fact, it's legal in the U.S. for them to sell that data to advertisers, which is why Father Robert sees Bollywood videos. Now... Here's the deal. With ExpressVPN, all your data is encrypted, rerouted through their servers, and the IP address that's visible to Google, to your ISP, to anybody who can see what you're doing, is the ExpressVPN IP address. It's the same IP address shared by hundreds of other ExpressVPN users. It's virtually anonymous. You want your private activity to stay private, you need ExpressVPN. It also secures your traffic so nobody can snoop on what you're doing. And it has that wonderful feature that allows you to go, they're all over the world, so you can go to almost any country and watch Netflix in that country. 160 locations in 94 nations all over the world. And ExpressVPN absolutely puts the money in to make sure the infrastructure is fast. Yes, you can watch HD video. No buffering with ExpressVPN. And never any caps on your bandwidth. Sometimes I'll turn it on and forget. Leave it on for weeks. 
They finally go, oh, but why not leave it on if it's that fast? There is no logging. They can't log. Your, your, when you start up your VPN server <clears throat> on their servers, it launches into RAM, runs in RAM, sandbox, so it can't write to the hard drive. And then when you're done, it goes away, and there is literally zero trace of your visit. Stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself with a VPN I use and recommend expressvpn.com slash Twit. If you go to that address, by the way, not only do they know you saw it here, which is important to us, but you'll get three extra months free with a one-year package. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. Spell it out. E-X-P-R-E-S-S. Another reason to like them. They spell express like an actual word. E-X-P-R-E-S-S. VPN.com slash twit. If you want to learn more, protect your online privacy. Protect yourself online with ExpressVPN. Hey, before we go on, we had a great week on Twit, and we've made a little mini-movie for you, so you don't miss a thing. Watch. We're ready for one of the weirdest beers you have <laughs> ever tasted. So this one I had was called Chunk Mango and Marshmallow. So I kept drinking it and, and saying, do I like this or do I not like this? I'm drinking it, drinking it. And the 16-ounce can was gone, and, and yeah. And uh, you I, were chunked. I was chunked. I was chunked. <laughs> Previously on Twit. Oh, I like that shot of you. Tech News Weekly. That's Jason nice. Howell and I start out the conversation today by talking to Sarah LaBeouf of GameDaily.biz about the Activision Blizzard lawsuit. Uh, Sarah was also at the walkout and told us a little bit about that event. Floss Weekly. It's QR codes. You just see QR codes everywhere. But most commonly lately is in restaurants. They publish the yeah, menu, the menu. In, in a little QR code. Even in the fancy restaurants. Well, then it turns out you could be tracked. Oh, uh, no. And it's being used to track you. Tracked. All about Android. We love comparing Android website. to uh, to iOS and to iPhones. And it's always like for, I mean, Jason, we've been doing this for 10 years, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. always been the push-pull between Apple and Android, Apple and Android. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the folks at Electronics Hubs uh, have now declared that Android is the worldwide leader over iOS. Right. And you we might stop playing might, then. It's, it's over. over. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just close it up. Yep. Twit. Put down the keg and tap the twit. <laughs> uh, if you say, if you say so. On we go with the show. Let's see what else we got here. Jason, is Mike Masnick going to be on Twig uh, on Wednesday? I think he is. So I'll give him a, a pat on the back then. But I just want to give a shout out. Mike Masnick is the editor of Tector, which is a really good tech blog, which everybody should use. And I have to say, I really respect what he has done. He, uh, like most tech blogs, was using a Google ad networks. But because Google is, uh, I don't know, difficult to deal with, periodically he would get a notice from Google saying, okay, that page is not going to load. That page is not going to load because you have dangerous stories about Google or whatever. It, it was annoying. They worked with third parties promising higher quality ads, promising no Google Analytics. And he says, the same automated emails every damn day from Google threatening to cut us off for our dangerous and derogatory content. Now, I respect Mike. I think his stuff is very good, editorially sound. And I really want to preserve his editorial independence. He said, we just ignored these threats. But at this point, we're so damn sick of it that if Google cut us off, so be it. So... They announced this week that TechDirt is now entirely without any Google ads 
or tracking code, which means as a result, they're pretty much without ads. So I just want to give a plug to one of the best tech blogs out there, uh, a blog that really fights for Section 230, fights for privacy, fights for the, uh, uh, an Internet that is done right, things like net neutrality. Um, if you if you if you believe in tech dirt, support them. They have a friends of tech dirt option, um, and I do hope that Mike is able to find advertisers who don't think that you know you need this. He's decided not to go behind a paywall, and I admire that. And uh, we'll talk to Mike on Wednesday on this week in Google. But good on him. I just want to give him a little props uh, for what he's doing. Uh, we are also an ad supported network. And so we've also kind of been dealing with this question. We don't use Google ads, so we don't have to worry about Google saying, stop saying bad things about Google. But we know a lot of you don't like ads or, more importantly, don't want the tracking that goes along with ads or just don't want to see any more Bollywood videos. So we got a, we got a plan for you. We call it Club Twit. It's a way to support what we do. $7 a month. You get ad-free versions of all of our shows, audio or video. You get to choose. You also get a special Twit Plus feed, which has a lot of fun stuff in it, including stuff that happens before and after shows, our untitled Linux show and things like that. And you get access to this wonderful Discord, which we like very much. Um, we are a big fan of Discord. I, I know you use it, Father Robert. In fact, <clears throat> I paid close attention to what uh, you do with your Discord. So we're doing some I love of the same Discord. Things. Isn't it great? Yeah. So you get access to this Discord that is only Club Twit members. And uh, that means the discussions are great. There's conversations not only about all the shows, but all sorts of topics geeks love. Uh, if you're interested, twit.tv slash club twit. It's amazing how putting up a $7 toll really improves the quality of conversation. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But uh, it's great. We we really uh, we really love it, and we hope you will like it. And thank you for the support. Twit.tv slash club twit. Um, have we covered every topic, you guys? Uh, did you look? Did you look at the rundown? Is there something you really wanted to talk about? Lucasfilm hiring a YouTuber who's better at deep fakes than they are. I love that story. Um, how about this one? I mentioned this on the radio show. Father Robert, you're you're kind of into security. Phantom warships, this is from Wired, are courting chaos in conflict zones. By the way, <laughs> points for alliteration on that. Uh, the problem is that the AIS that's used by all commercial um, uh, shipping is easy to spoof, I guess. So is GPS. According to analysis conducted by uh, Sky Truth and Global Fishing Watch, over 100 warships from at least 14 European countries, Russia and the U.S., have had their location faked, sometimes for days at a time, in the past year. Some of these tracks show warships approaching foreign naval bases, intruding into disputed waters. Um, what is... They all share characteristics that suggest a common perpetrator... Somebody who kind of wants to stir up international tensions, it sounds like. It's super simple. It's super easy. And actually, this this was a rejected know-how segment from who back Who rejected in the day. it? Did I reject it? No, I rejected it. Oh, okay. I, because <laughs> once... It, it, you didn't you want to tell people a, how to do it. 
I didn't want to tell people how to do it. It, it was a $400 software-defined radio. We were, I was able to go out to near Golden Gate Bridge, and you could get all of the information from all the ships that were streaming into the bay, uh, and you could start spoofing it. It was, oh, that's it, it was so easy to do. I was like, no, 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 no. This, this is not something I want to teach people how to play with because that information can be incredibly damaging. I mean, you're, you're messing with shipping of these multi-thousands-of-ton vessels, um, it, it was it was a prank, essentially. The uh, UK Ministry of Defense said we are aware of manipulation of AIS tracking data placing carrier strike group vessels in areas where they were not. Uh, wow. Imagine if you're a, a hostile nation and suddenly you see a UK carrier strike group steaming your way. You might take that fairly seriously. Um they found no evidence directly linking the fake tracks to any country, organization, or individual. But Todd Humphreys, who's director of the Radio Navigation Lab at the University of Texas, Austin, says they're consistent with Russian tactics. This fits a pattern of disinformation that our Russian friends are wont to engage in. Um, anyway. And the, AI, the AIS system is not... It's not secure. It wasn't, it wasn't designed, designed to, be to be secure. Yeah. Right. Because no one ever thought who was going to Who would deliver mess with that? that? Yeah. Right. It, it'd be like messing <clears> with <throat> traffic signals. Who would mess with traffic signals? But we live in a world where if I can mess with it, because it's just a satellite, and I just have to point the antenna in the right direction, I'll try it out of curiosity. Although the fact that it keeps happening means it's now no longer curiosity. Someone's actually testing to see how far they can push this. Sigh. And yet another, these are public service announcements, <laughs> things, things you should be aware of. Uh, there is a, um, a Python uh, repository called PyPy, P-Y-P-I, where people download uh, libraries and so forth. Um, apparently, open source packages downloaded an estimated 30,000 times from the PyPy open source repository contain malicious code. That surreptitiously stole credit card data and login credentials and injected malicious code on infected machines. You know, for years, we've had these repositories. Uh, they're wide open. It's easy to put spoofed information on there. Um, and we've just kind of, without thinking about it, trusted it. Steve's talked about this on Security Now a couple of times. Uh, here's an example. 30,000 downloads from PyPy of malicious software. They, Of course, people downloading them thought they were... Downloading libraries right. and things and safe packages. I've used it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot I mean, of this stuff is and also actually, scripted. Right. Right. Well, I mean, one of the issues is you've got developing teams who they do it out of for fun and then they abandon a project. Right. Well, if someone else picks it up, they're they're trading on the name. This used to be something that yes. a repository that they wanted. They have no idea that malicious code has been a, has been added. The same thing happens to plugins on on certain browsers. You've got a plugin, maybe that company goes out of business. Someone else buys the intellectual property, and suddenly they have access to a plugin that your browser will auto update with the latest malware. And be careful where you get uh, your software. Uh, bad guys have created this is this is not good have created a fake brave website uh, oh no oh we like brave it's a great uh, we like brave it's a great browser it's a privacy focused browser we recommend it uh, i think they bought some ads at one point um but using um 
what they call tiny code. It's possible to fa- make a site that looks like Brave, but isn't Brave, and people are downloading what they think is a is a browser, oh. but is in fact malware. Um, so let me see if I can find this. Uh, this uh, Google the, the malware authors were buying Google ads. <laughs> uh, let me see if I can show you these Google ads. So you'll search for Brave browser, and you'd get an ad that looks like it's the Brave browser. Notice though, <laughs> this ads from <laughs> MacKelveyTees.com, not Brave. <laughs> but if you click on the link, you would go to a site that looked just like Brave. But there was a slight difference. Instead of B-R-A-V-E dot com, it was B-R-A-V-Oxantgrav dot com. They would... What? Yeah, they would use um, uh, Punicode, it's called, to in, oh. to create a domain using Unicode that looks like Brave, if you don't examine it closely, but it's actually Brave spelled a little bit differently with a, uh, a E with a diacritical mark on it. And since the site looks just like Brave, and it looks like you're at Brave.com, unless you look really, really closely. Let me see if can you can you look at that and tell? Is that is that it obviously looks right. uh, it looks good? Yeah, it looks like Brave, right? Dumb. But there's a little accent on the e that you might easily miss. And of course, it's malware. Google, when notified by uh, the uh, privacy researchers, pulled down the ads, but those ads were there. You see, it's all automated, right? Those ads were there for a while, and um, uh, the uh, company that hosted Brevet.com has uh, taken it down. But that doesn't mean this won't happen again. So be very, very careful. You know, when you look at sites, uh, Punicode has been used in a number of other uh, attacks. Screencast.com, FlightSimulator.com. Not Flight Simulator, but Fleet Simulator, uh, exodus.com, tradingv.com, a little umlaut over the eye, torbrowser.com, telegram.com. Um, so be careful. Look, look, if you're downloading software, I think it would be worthwhile to click the, the little padlock and look at the certificate and make sure the name of the certificate matches uh, the site you think you're on exactly. Or maybe just type those site names in. Don't click links. That's another problem. Just clicking no. those links. Or skip ads. Or skip all ads, <laughs> unless they're for yeah. fine Bollywood movies. In which case. I, I, I will say I, I've developed a taste for Bollywood movies. I think they're very entertaining. Don't Their knock. cinema has greatly improved in the last 10 years. Oh, and the dancing and the singing and the love stories. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I think we can wrap this uh, this baby up, put it to bed. I, I was going to make it a five-hour show, but in deference to Carolina, I think we'll just make it a little bit shorter. Carolina, tell us about The Heart of Tech. Uh, the Heart of Tech is uh, my pet project that now, has become a bit more than that. I have to say, when you say it with your accent, sometimes it sounds a little bit like The Heart Attack. So <laughs> I know somebody somebody how yes I had that before um probably because the topic is related I don't know you can have a heart attack if <laughs> Yeah and there is a heart uh on the uh, website so it's the heart of uh, tech not the heart attack Yeah the the idea was really to to talk more about the the you know the emotional and passion and uh, the human in the tech and and also the social implica- implication that tech has 
Uh, and then uh, um, in my day job is actually at Creative Strategies, where I am president and principal analyst, where I do the more traditional coverage of uh, technology. And I look at things like future work and, and everything that comes from consumer and impacts in enterprise and, and so much more. And you can find me on Twitter as well at Carol That's underscore nice. Milanese. Is there a particular area you focus your uh, reports on? Um, apart from CSR, it is really the the impact of uh, consumer technology in an enterprise environment, uh, future work collaboration, and uh, and then all the the tech companies and and uh, assistant and AI um, ethics and AI um, everything. Nice. Well, we'll have you back because we need an we need an expert in all of those areas. Do you know anything about time crystals? Because I do not. That's why you have. (laughs) Nobody knows that. Maybe Father Robert. I don't know. (laughs) We've got some in the Vatican. Oh, yeah, of course. What am I saying? You've had them for years, centuries. Uh, That's Father Robert Ballas here. We call him the Digital Jesuit, digitaljesuit.com. He's Padre SJ on the Twitter. He also runs a a Vatican Minecraft server, a Factorio (laughs) server, a Valheim server. Anything else you want to plug? Oh, just thanks to, to Black Sales and McLovin. I mean, he's he's really the powerhouse behind all of that. And he's helping us recover from a disaster we had. Uh-oh. Uh, we, we we actually had a flood take out a data center. So <gasps> that was that was interesting. Was that, it in Italy? Was, uh, Where was the flood? Uh, no, it was in an undisclosed location. It, it has really messed up our operations. But I think my biggest project right now is I am walking around the Vatican uh, and I'm blasting the Italian version of Baby Shark, which is known as Bimbo Squalo. <laughs> Bimbo Squalo. Da, 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 da. Bimbo Squalo. Da, 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 da. Bimbo. Exactly. <laughs> no, that does exist. Go to Mama YouTube. Squalo, and type in Bimbo Squalo. Mama Squalo. Ba, ba, ba. Okay, I like it. Papa Squalo. That's the beauty of baby shark. It's the international language of shark. Exactly. Yes. Of Thank annoyance. <laughs> Robert, thanks for staying up late with us. It's like two in the morning now. I appreciate it. Thank you. My very pleasure. Much. Uh, Wesley Faulkner, we love you. It's always great to see you. Uh, congratulations on the new gig, head of community at Single Store. Plug something. Thank you. I'll plug several things. Uh, first, uh, yes, I'm new to Single Store. I'm the head of community there. Uh, if anyone's listening to this and you've used Single Store, also known in the past as MemSQL, reach out to me. I would love to hear your experience and how I can do better and how we can do better. And I want to make sure that the lines of communications are open. My DMs are open on Twitter. So reach out on Twitter and just say, hey, I've used Single Store uh, and tell me what you think of it. So that's number one. Um, Number two, just this past week, I spoke at a conference uh, that is the oh, name of the conference. You so got a good mug conference. for it. That's a nice mug. Yeah. Um, it was my first ever keynote um, and uh, it was live streamed. So if you do a search on YouTube for that conference and my name, uh, I would love feedback on on what you thought of it because it was my first time doing a keynote. It's also a pinned tweet on Twitter. I keep sending people to Twitter. It's Wesley83 on Twitter. So if uh, if you want to see it, and I would love to know what you thought of it because uh, I was nervous giving it and I would love to know if, if, if I should give it again. I'm on the fence. Uh, 
That's neat. That, and what uh, is that though? <laughs> what is that? So t- the origin of the conference was to focus on developers and not the conference. It's about the people and oh, not I love the event. It. And so oh. to be nondescript, they called it that conference. So that the it, it's about people and it's about the family of people brought together by the conference. I want to go. The conference That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, they're they're rolling a new one in Texas. In January, um, and um, it, it's their first time going outside the state of Wisconsin. And so if you are in the Texas, Austin, Round Rock area, I would say sign up and go in January. Cause, Do you actually uh, have to camp? Like to Do you actually camp outside? <laughs> no, no, no. It's in a it's in a Kalahari resort. It's a oh. water park. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a family-friendly event. So it's not just people. It's like your whole family goes. Bring the kids. Um, and that was one of the things that was really... Uh, amazing for me that I gave this speech on a stage and my family was there to watch it. So that was pretty Aww, awesome. Did they nice. enjoy that? Seeing daddy give a speech? That's neat. Yeah, they actually know what I do sort of now. <laughs> and so uh, it was a very, very <laughs> personal speech too. So I, I oh, kind of nice. go through my whole life history in it. Oh man, um, we can Lisa watch that online? A, yeah, Lisa gave me a good like response to it. So she that sounds it. awesome. Um, and so um, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, Lisa um, Lisa loves you, Wes. The way we both do. But Lisa, we we talk about you at night. We're lying in bed talking about Wesley Faulkner. That gives you some idea. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> the other night she was saying that. I, I think she had just watched your speech, actually. Uh, yeah. Maybe. T-H-A-T yeah. dot U-S. Yep. That, that us. That us. Nice. Anything else? What else? You said many. Less is my own podcast. Ooh. Uh, Community Pulse, communitypulse.io. Um, I co-host with several great people that are way smarter than me. Um, and we talk about developer relations and we also talk about community. But um, our next one is yet to be published, but the next one's going to be about um, developer relations survey. So if you want to know how much people get paid, um, what they think about their employers, what countries that people participate in developer relations. It's a really growing space. And we're going to go um, dive deep into the audience survey of people who are, are consider themselves in the developer relation profession. So that's going to be really informative. So if you've never listened to the podcast or if you're just curious about developer relations, that's a really good one to start with. It's the one that's going to be posted. Nice. Communitypulse.io. Folks, we do This Week in Tech uh, every Sunday afternoon. Well, it's afternoon my time, middle of the night for Father Robert. But it's uh, it's uh, it's 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2100 UTC. Uh, I tell you those times not because you have to be here, but if you want to watch us do the show, we do stream out kind of the making of stream, the behind-the-scenes stream at twit.tv slash live. There's audio and video there. Watching live, chat live. There's two places to chat live. Of course, our IRC, which we've had since the early 90s, I'm not kidding you, irc.twit.tv. There's also, of course, the Discord, if you're a member of Club Twit. Those are all people watching live, chatting live, having fun live. On-demand versions of the show available online at our website. This Week in Tech is at twit.tv. Uh, when you get there, you'll also see a link to the YouTube channel for all the shows, so you can watch them there. Uh, also to some big-name podcast clients, but it works with any podcasting client. Uh, all you have to do is uh, add the RSS feed or search for This Week in Tech, and you can add it. If that uh, client happens to allow 
reviews. Please leave us a five-star review. Let the world know you listen and, uh, and help spread the word because we want everybody to listen to this week in tech. If you are watching uh, or listening uh, after the fact, we do have kind of asynchronous communities, our forums at twit.community and our Mastodon instance at twit.social, both places you can interact with us, the hosts. Oh, let's show that too. Don't forget, Paul Therott and I are going on a cruise. We're going to Alaska next year, uh, July, uh, end of July 2022. It's going to be a lot of fun. We would love you to come along. You can find out more at cruise.twit.tv. And Paul's wife, Stephanie, says she's going to do a mixology course. She is an amazing mm-hmm. mixologist. Yeah. Paul will be... Go to, go to Alaska while it's still frozen. Yes. <laughs> while the glaciers are still there, we will see the glaciers. We will. Uh, it's a really beautiful cruise. I've done it before um, on the Holland America line, and it uh, is so much fun. So we were really looking forward to that. Uh, but book now because uh, we. I don't know how much longer these, this, these cruises book up fast. Uh, I don't know how much longer there'll be uh, cabins available. So twit, uh, cruise.twit.tv for more information. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on This Week in Tech. Another Thanks twit is in the can. <laughs>